0: Hi, everybody. It's Bridget Leroy, your host of the East Hampton Library's Authors' Night, which is just getting underway here at the 555 Field in Amagansett. We're here with WPPB, 88.3 FM Peconic Public Broadcasting, Long Island's only NPR station. And we're going to kick off with the East Hampton Library's president, Dennis Fabizak, who is not looking at me right now. Hi, Dennis, how are you? Great, how are you? Good, good. Glad you could join us.
1: We're thrilled you could join us for the first time, also.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. It seems like it's a really good crowd. There's so many new authors, and everyone seems really excited.
1: Yeah, we have a great author selection committee, and they've tried to have at least half of the authors be brand new authors we've never had before. Um, and, you know, AJ Finn and, and Lee Child are the most popular around, and, and it's the first time they've ever been at our event. So we're are really they thrilled. already
0: are they already in the house? Uh, AJ
1: is in the house. Lee is in traffic yes. with a lot of other people <laughs> that aren't here yet.
0: That's right, but it looks like a really exciting lineup, and I'm really excited to to talk to everyone. You have a good turnout tonight, in spite of the. Uh yeah. The weather.
1: Yeah. In spite of the weather, uh, seems to be you know, People off. are waiting at the gate to get in. Our pre-sales have been huge. You know, bigger than we've ever had before. But so. there
0: are there's still room for people if they want to come now. Absolutely. We're on a beautiful property for the first time.
1: Five 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 Montauk Highway in Amagansett. We could fit probably two thousand cars, uh, and we have plenty of space and plenty of food.
0: And this is the biggest your biggest event of the year. Yeah. This
1: is our our single biggest fundraiser of the year. Uh, we earn. This year, we'll probably earn about 15% of our operating budget at this event alone, so it lets us do free things the entire year at the library.
0: And people get to come, and the um, the books are donated to the library. That's and right. Then yeah. The people well, can buy them and have them signed by the different authors. You have over 100 authors this year?
1: Uh, we about? have just about 100 authors. So we have probably 7,000 books that have been wow. donated by the publishers. Uh, some of the authors brought extra books that they had laying around because they just, Jumped on the bandwagon of donating to the library and raising money, and we're thrilled about it.
0: Well, that's wonderful. I'm very excited to be here, and it is filling up as we speak. It is. So uh, I think Dawn is going to be bringing me over a special guest very shortly. Uh, mm-hmm. And, wow, uh, the food, the food this year is also by the Swedish... Uh,
1: uh, the food is a whole combination. So we have Swedish stuff culinary. from Villa Italian Specialties, uh, John Papa's, we have sushi... Um, we have all kinds of. Stuff. I mean, it's, it's a real. We have a ton
0: of food. And then what? And then yeah, this ends. And then there's a whole bunch of the author dinners. To right. Go so to. we have
1: 26 dinners, each hosted at somebody's estate. Uh, each dinner has one or two authors as a guest of honor, and people have purchased tickets to attend dinners with the, the authors. Um, we which, raise one, about which a third are you going of funds to? Um, I'm going to Ken Lipper's house, and he's hosting Wednesday Martin. Oh, how wonderful. This is going to be a really interesting I'm going dinner. to
0: Jackie Leo's for Patty Bosworth. Oh, that's going to be great. <laughs> so that'll be great, and I hope I have both of them up here to speak. Yes. Um, and I'm going to talk right now with author A.J. Finn. Great. So Dennis Fabzac from the East Hampton Library, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Bridget. Hi, uh nice to meet you. This is AJ Finn Hi. who has his book The Woman in the Window which already is being made into a film, is this correct? Yes, they
2: started shooting last Monday in Brooklyn.
0: That's amazing. It's and this exciting. is your first book.
2: It is my first book, probably my last. No, no, no. no <laughs> not my last.
0: Time to retire and live the good <laughs> life. No, uh, tell me a little bit about it because I obviously I hear people like immediately go to the kind of Gillian Flynn.
2: Yep, that's that's totally fair. It's basically a rear window for the twenty first century and our narrator is an agoraphobe, once a respected child psychologist. These days she can't set foot outside her house. And this proves difficult and problematic when she thinks she witnesses a murder in the home across wow, the park. Wow,
0: it really is like a, like a rear window it for the modern times.
2: A heavy debt to rear window. Oh, yes. that's
0: wonderful. And where did you did you what were you doing before you wrote this book?
2: I was a publisher. I spent ten years as a book editor and publisher, publishing lots of crime novels and then decided to write my own
0: that's wonderful thanks and uh, tell me about the, the film uh, who's, who's in it what the film
2: stars Amy Adams Gary oh. Oldman and Julianne Moore oh wow
0: they're just like nobodies just, they're Bunch up and comers yeah. yeah
2: and it's directed by Joe Wright who made Darkest Hour and Atonement and Pride and Prejudice and it will be released next October October 2019
0: oh that's so exciting it's exciting and are you working on something else now I've
2: got my second book it was due several months ago so I should probably start <laughs> writing it
0: well maybe not tonight <laughs> not tonight AJ.
2: tonight I'm going to be busy yeah yes. I think
0: you're probably just going to have a lot of fun tonight. <laughs> with, uh, and th- so obviously this is your first author's night. Have you been here before as a publisher? I mean, were you I've never been to this
2: event. I've, I've come out to East Hampton every summer of my life. My parents live in Amagansett, but oh, this is great. my first time at the fair.
0: Wow, how exciting. Are, are your parents here? Like, Are they going to be here like, taking pictures of you? They will be here
2: Right. Provided the weather doesn't keep them away. This is pretty miserable. Stop it.
0: It's a beautiful, beautiful night. Oh, I have no what idea saying? what you're right. talking about. <laughs> Everybody come out. It's beautiful and there's tons of parking and food.
2: It's very pleasant here, I will say that. Yes. That's
0: wonderful. Well, AJ Finn, it's wonderful to meet you and I can't wait to read your book. Thanks I'm so really much for excited. having me. Thank you so much and congratulations on the film.
2: Thanks. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye. This is Bridget Leroy on WPBB 88.3 FM and I've got David Itzkoff. Who has written a book that so many people are talking about now? It's the uh, biography of Robin Williams. And I, I know that you've done lots of, of, of profiles as culture. What is your exact title? At the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm culture a editor? culture reporter, culture one reporter of the several, time. but thank you. And uh, you have written this book of, of Robin Williams. What was the most surprising thing while, while you did your deep dive, do you think?
3: I mean, I think, uh, you know, getting to delve into his childhood, his upbringing, uh, and even the lives of his parents before he was born. Because I think we think of most comedians as coming from often lives of, uh, you know, difficulty and... uh, uh, you know, You're turning de- po-
0: turning poison into medicine. Yeah, in a way.
3: deprivation in some way, and and his life was not quite that. I mean, he lived a very uh, wealthy life as uh, as a child. Uh, he grew up in where in Marin County, or well, that's where he he eventually moved to. But he lived sort of in between uh, Detroit and Chicago because his dad was an executive for Ford, and you know, so they were living in the sort of the wealthy suburbs of those you know, car cities. Right. And his, uh, you know, so they made a lot of money. His father traveled for work a lot. His mother was very into society functions. So he was living in, in mansions, essentially, but really by himself, even though he was popular at the schools he attended and had friends. I think he felt a lot of uh, solitude, a lot of loneliness. And and that uh, shaped exactly who he became.
0: We're talking with David scoff about his book, Robin, which is a biography of, the great Robin Williams. What made you decide to do a, a book? I mean, rather than just a profile the the things that you do for the Times? Sure.
3: I mean, I had a really, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the experiences that I had when I got to write about him for the paper and he let me uh, come on the road with him for a few days uh, when on um, what, you know, sadly turned out to be his last uh, comedy tour called wow. uh, Weapons of Self-Destruction. And, I, you know, I got to know him a little bit during then. and uh, So did you
0: feel like you sort of owed him a... Uh, a debt since he...
3: Well, I just thought that there was so much about his life that had not been explored, a story that really still hadn't been told in its entirety. And it was uh, really fascinating just to get to to dive into a life that fully. David,
0: I really appreciate you coming up and enjoy the event. We're at Author's Night for the East Hampton Library. And on deck, we have Lee Child, the great Lee Child, who everyone says, ask him this, ask him this. Uh, Mr. Child, so nice to meet you. Bridget Leroy. Hi. Hi, how are you?
4: Pretty good, thanks. How are good, you?
0: Good, good, good. And this is your first time here?
4: It is. I think it's my first time. Somebody <laughs> said, it's nice of you to come back, but I can't remember being here, maybe years ago, yeah.
0: I think one of the most interesting things that I find is that you didn't start writing until you were 40.
4: Yeah, and I think that's something that everybody should do. You yeah. know, it's a tough thing. Occasionally you get a novel from an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old or something like that but it's really just a pastiche of something and there's never a second novel, you know? You gotta fill the tank. You gotta live a little bit. That's what I love about writing. Not only can you, but you should do it later in life.
0: Uh, We're speaking with Lee Child about his book, The Midnight Line. Lee, uh, another question I have, why do you always start on September 1st? We're, we're coming up to a deadline for you.
4: We are, I've got to get an idea pretty quick. It's because that's when I started my first book. And so- It's kind kinda, of a superstition? Yeah, it's partly superstition, but it's also partly logic. If you are gonna publish a book a year, you gotta write a book a year and you gotta do it, you know, you gotta get down to it.
0: And just a, a last question but uh, that I think everyone is really curious about, why did you decide to make your protagonist Jack Reacher American?
4: Because he needs that frontier, you know? He needs the wide open space, the big sky, the big geography where you can have remote secrets. And Britain, sadly, there's a lot of things going for Britain, but that's not one of them, you know? There's no remote spaces. There's no emptiness. There's no secrets.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a very populated small island. its it? Is.
4: and if you look at the fiction coming out of Britain, it's, it's very internal, very psychological. That's true. And uh, it's either in a couple of streets or in somebody's head. Which is great. I love that. But, you know, I, uh, what I wanted for myself was the big geography of America.
0: Okay. Um, Mr. Child, it's been wonderful to speak with you. Real Lee pleasure. Child with his book The Midnight Line. We have our honorary chairman is on deck, you,
5: Alec Baldwin.
6: Uh, Ma- Michael Lally, come?
0: Yes, please. Can come? We've got...
6: Yes. A I'm big a, crowd
0: of Baldwin's and Lally. You're
6: gonna share. The, you're gonna no, no no You're gonna share this chair with me. Come over here. But you need to be over here. Okay.
7: I'm oh. Chair right here. All are these you?
6: mics are hot. These three. Yep. Okay. Great. Here Absolutely. We
7: go.
6: Michael. Seat,
0: Hi, Alec. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Another great event. How are you feeling? I feel awesome. No. I want to talk to you about that later. That's yeah, later. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no seriously I okay, amazing. Hi. Hello. Oh, it's so good. And nice to meet you, Mr. Lally. How are nice, you? Nice to meet you. So, Alec, let's start with you and uh, your honorary chairman of this event. Uh, you are a great philanthropist out here, known for... Well, I, you are, um, but you're very dedicated to the library. What what brought you to the East Hampton Library, and why is it so important to you?
6: Well, we've always wanted to give money to uh, to libraries in general. I had like a weird thing where I adopted a library... In Rhode Island, because I read in the New York Times that it was going to go out of business, and 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 the same thing is reflected in all this dialogue, which is that these libraries are these hubs of the town. Yeah. Then Sandy came, and and Sac Harbor, they were paper slipping books and and issuing books because they had no internet, and people were coming there because they had a generator to charge their phones, and it became such a huge. And vital center of the town, then my wife and I be, began to say, we're going to give money every year in some program to all five of our area libraries: Montauk Springs, Amagansett, uh, uh, East Hampton, and uh, Sag Harbor. Right. And we've been doing that where we give them a gift certificate to Bookhampton, so we double dip and we help wow. the local bookstore. Wow. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. But
6: then the but East Hampton Library is the is the biggest. It's the most. It's the busiest. Not to marginalize those other libraries, but East Hampton Village Library is very important. So we've been, um, uh, we've given them some stuff here and there. And, and then I realized, I thought, this guy who did it, who released his book, Another Way to Play. 20,
0: 27 a, books you have? 30th. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little behind. I'm sorry. He's got,
6: he's, he, we'd go to the event for him, and people, love, he's a great writer, he's a great poet. His fans love him, and I thought, why don't we... Getting his lazy ass out here and dragging him out here. <laughs> this is Alec Baldwin
0: Tampa. talking about Michael Lally, Michael Lally and his newest book, Another Way to Play.
1: Might might be the only poetry book here, I think. Today. I think you
0: might be. Yeah. No. And, but I think that yeah, Alec, yeah. you have to do something about that. And of course, we have beautiful Hilaria, and you have your book, The
8: Living Clearly. The Living Clearly method, yeah. So if you want to do yoga and make healthy recipes. And you can uh, yeah. check my book. Well, out. the
0: thing about you is that, like, people will often say they're too busy, and there can't be anyone who's more busy than, the, like, you guys. Literally, right. so getting, you ready, do it.
8: getting ready for this event, I was putting mascara on and working out at the same time in my bathroom because I didn't have any time to work out today, <laughs> and it always centers me and makes me calm. <laughs> and the
0: kids were, like, banging on the door? Completely. Of course, yeah. But my wife, also,
6: it's like, I mean, she is, it's kind of weird. She has her fourth child. And within weeks, she once again looks like she's ready to be like the head cheerleader at the school. You know, she's a genetic I'm, miracle. I'm shooting
0: daggers with my yeah. eyes right she's now. She's no, It's wonderful. It's it is unbelievable.
6: Her physical you take fitness
8: well, and, and in
6: advance of the baby. So she would taught me that. She's saying, "Yeah, I take care of myself well up to um, up to uh, uh, the, the delivery." Right. So you know, she just she's a very there's very few people who live what they say and write as much as she does right
0: and tell me about your book that you're here with the the trump we can't spell america without me
6: well we've only heard enough about trump I <laughs> heard about michael lally okay, another way michael. to play uh, <laughs> well, this I through this by, and some uh, of the pro- uh, uh,
9: I them? Yep. Seven
10: you have
6: seven to- stories w- www.sevenstories.com for michael lally's latest compilation of his poetry now, how and did my you book get- is a trump parody how did I what?
0: Now, how did you how did you hook up with Michael? I mean, him? How did, oh,
6: I've known him back. Uh, we were in World War II <laughs> <laughs> together. See? <laughs>
0: yeah, sure he, you
1: were. he 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 helped me out one time when I was starving poet and
9: rented my one of my kids' rooms.
6: I was a tenant in his house in Santa <laughs> Monica. Yeah.
0: So you owe him. Yeah. No, you skipped no, out. You he skipped owed, out on the rent. No, out? No, I owe him. No, I, I owe you. That's wonderful. Yeah, he uses per diem. To well, I don't want to keep you guys because you're going to be swamped with fans who are we're probably no already ups. lined up but i can't thank you all enough and i hope we get to see thank you know you. eric and i have a house out here for the winter in amagansett no yeah totally yeah,
6: why did you come out here from uh, up, up island
0: well i'll tell you later okay, oh, there's, uh, <laughs> there's a couple of stories i need to hear i'll tell you guys later. orthopedic we're see stories you. everything yes yes all right mwah, bye mwah. Mwah. We'll
6: see you. great
0: seeing you alec <laughs> Hilaria. Oh, oh that's our wedding ring thank you you look amazing. It's just wonderful to see you and wonderful to meet Michael Lally and talk to Alec Baldwin and Valeria Baldwin. And good luck today. And the Children's Fair is tomorrow as well. Do you guys ever go to that? Well, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you so much. This is Bridget Leroy, your host tonight at East Hampton Library Authors Night 2018 here on WPPB 88.3 FM. You can also listen on peconicpublicbroadcasting.org. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have here Malcolm Nance. Really? Yes, <laughs> I think so. Can I listen? Yes. In fact, you know what? I'm going to put on my headphones too.
11: You know, uh, I've got those mad NSA skills going. Oh now. yeah, I Wait, can tell. What are these are these Sonys? Sennheisers? Yeah, I mean, you, after
0: a lifetime in, in in the intelligence world, what I wanted to ask you is tell me something I don't
11: know. Well, that forever we use Sennheiser headsets at <laughs> NSA uh, and we used uh, because for a while we used Sony's. And I can't remember it, almost a time in my life I wasn't wearing headsets listening to people. Oh,
0: well, that's so, <laughs> so funny. So you, so you feel more comfortable. I feel more
11: at home when See, I have headsets I have, on. I have
0: the earrings on. So that's the issue. So tell me, I mean, tell me about this book. I know you are one of the hot, hot people that people want to see today. Yeah. So tell me a lot of, you know, Well, that's a bizarre the, thing. No, what I'm the, telling you no. out here in the Hamptons everybody was like I want to get the Malcolm Nance book. Well, I live out here and that's well, what they're
11: Well, saying. you know I'm, I'm I'm analyst on MSNBC, I'm right. a terrorism analyst, but 2 years ago before the election I wrote a book called Plot to Hack America. And that was written in 5 weeks. It was delivered on September 23rd, uh was published actually on September 23rd and available online. And then what was really nice is that the CIA was working on an identical report and the only difference between the two was the code name we had chosen for the Russian operation. Oh, you're kidding. And mine was Operation Lucky 7 and the CIA had chosen Grizzly Step.
0: I like yours much better. Yeah,
11: and now and And it was funny because, like I I told my friends at the time, it's really nice that President Obama came and validated all of my research. Identical bullet points, identical objectives in Russia, identical players, except mine went into the political angle a lot deeper. So now, two years later, in 100,000 books sold, we sold the plot to destroy democracy. I wrote the plot to destroy democracy, which was a much deeper, broader analysis. Uh, Plot to Hack America was a projection of what must have happened What had to have been there, and the people who had to have participated, right
0: before the the current, uh, you know,
11: you know. So if you read Russian Roulette, Russian Roulette is a much deeper version. Uh, But mine was a, like I said, I'm not a journalist, I'm a spy, so it's a little (laughs) easier for me.
0: I'm a journalist, but I might, I might be a spy. You could not. You couldn't be
11: a good spy. You'd be double checking your sources, and (laughs) we we blow up things and kill people with our information. But Plot to Destroy Democracy is right. far more serious. It's a far darker and more insidious book. And it's a complete look at from the moment Trump was elected and the spy hunt before the election, how U.S. intelligence, NATO intelligence was finding all this data. And then the the Russian plan on how they were going to affect not just the U.S. election, but they practically own all conservative movements in Europe. Wow. And uh, they're sort of like that if anyone's watched Captain America, the enemy is Hydra. Right, right. right. They are Hydra. And it's not, no, it's terrifying. Uh, I had to actually read that book four weeks ago, complete end to end. And I literally would tell my wife, I'd say, you know, this is the scariest thing I've ever written. And I've written some pretty scary intelligence assessments. But it also shows how in the last three chapters, they co-opted the American right They co-opted the evangelicals.
0: And you have everything to kind of back this up.
11: Oh yeah, 600 pages, or 600 refs, so there's 43 pages of refs. Wow. Because in my world, you have to show your work. Yes, of course. So Maria Butina, there's 12 pages about her, the woman who right infiltrated I know the, the NRA. Russian
0: Russian honey trap. Yeah, or, and right. that's
11: the name of the section, the honey trap. Is it really? Yes. Of course, I just I'm a spy. I d-
0: and I'm a journalist, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> or or maybe not. Maybe it's the other way around. And
11: then the alt right, we have a chapter in there called the American Fifth Column. And of course Virtually today is
0: the the Charlottesville. The
11: right. And one of the interesting factors about that was Charlottesville was like the American alt right coming out. And they were, help, they were coordinated by European alt-right groups like Pegida in Germany. And they would communicate on Discord, which is this video game chat I've network. heard about that. And they were literally giving them command and control. They showed them how to build shields and essentially how to militarize the alt-right. And those guys, interesting fact, yeah. virtually every one of the leaders has ties to Moscow, David Duke has an apartment in Moscow. I
0: just want to uh, let the audience know we're speaking with Malcolm Nance about his book, The Plot to Destroy Democracy. And he has a long and varied history besides being an analyst and also being a spy.
11: Yeah, U.S. So, intelligence. Yes,
0: U.S. intelligence, of so, course.
11: Um, but what was fascinating about it was the links to everyone. David Duke has an apartment in Moscow. Richard Spencer, whom he loans his apartment. Uh, go, they go there all the time for these... Um, for these Alt right, super, uber extreme conservative conferences that are held every year. Russia's a Christian conservative nation, Right. hardcore. Their number one Twitter feed over there that virtually all members of the Russian Duma believe is InfoWars by Alex oh, Jones. No, you're no kidding. I'm not joking. And th- all the data we got was mainly from Russian sources about what they like and their statements. But most importantly, they created a strategic um, framework around American conservatives and around Donald Trump.
0: Now, are they doing this without the main players knowing? I mean, are they able to infiltrate how much, how much innocence that you is being- You have to remember,
11: when Barack Obama was elected, within a year, the, the right had turned so hard against him that they were making analogies that Vladimir Putin was a stronger, better president. Right. Trump tweeted about that extensively in 2014, right after the invasion of Crimea. Wow. He was constantly extolling the virtues of Putin. But Trump had already been co-opted. He had, he had gone to the Nobu restaurant in 2013 during Miss Universe, and he sat for two hours with the 12 richest men in Russia. And when he walked out, he walked out sparring the Kremlin party line. The dissolution and, and unnecessariness of NATO. Breakup of the European Union and ending all trade pacts of the United States and he was a blank slate before he went in It was just you know grabbing girls and you know and right right by the yeah Yeah, and committing of adultery with his wife when he came out that was his foreign policy platform What's most important to know is the Russians have a strategic intelligence doctrine? They call perception management or reflexive control where they build a framework of information around you so that you they actually call it get, steering your decision-making algorithm to where whatever you do and say, you're doing it within their framework well, it, to it, benefit them.
0: And, and at first, they had to start a process where people didn't trust what yes. they saw or heard. So you have to th- knock th- down the, the media, underpinnings
11: of belief. Yes. Right? You have to create, and Putin did this to his own people, you have to create... A, a, a nebulous cloud where truth and reality can be fra- can be shaped. And again, this stuff has been developed by the KGB in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, but only social media was fast enough to make it effective. Right. You didn't have to buy 500 printing presses or pay off 600 journalists to get one story in no, the AP. No, just
0: put it out there and it goes and,
11: viral. Right, and despite some things from my, you know, my detractors like Gren Greenwald say, um, the KGB, and the FSB are the exact same organization. <laughs> All they did was one guy in maintenance came down the next day with a screwdriver, removed KG, and put up FS. <laughs> and they didn't stop working. Did exactly. Everything's the quo. same. But the president of their nation is a former KGB officer who was in his late 40s when he stopped his career. Uh-
0: Malcolm Nance, it's been an absolute pleasure and enlightening and uh, love the fact about the earphones that's brilliant. I hope we run into each other again honestly I do and you're having dinner you have a your dinner was sold out like almost first I oh. think so
11: <laughs> what uh, that yeah. Alec Baldwin guy uh, I movie? know well you know we're we're all kind of <laughs> used to him, to him out there
0: <laughs> anyway right. thank you so much and um, I'm going to let you go back to your table it's been lovely to meet you Good and to congratulations meet you too. on this amazing book thank and all the information much. thank you Bye-bye. This is Bridget Leroy on WPPB, 88.3 FM, org, And we are going to now go, I think, to Indaba Mandela, who I met beforehand. And I'm very grateful that I get a chance to Hi, sit and talk to entrance? you. If it makes you comfortable, please yes. do. Now, you are Nelson Mandela's grandson. That's right. And you've written a book about it. I have. And you're here in East Hampton.
12: I am. <laughs> All of
0: those things are correct. Yay, I'm batting 1,000. Yes. So, obviously, the first question is, what what was it like having Nelson? What was your first memory, I guess?
12: Uh, well, the first memory was when uh, we went to meet him in jail, uh, when he was still in prison. Uh, my parents told me we were going to go meet him in jail, so I, as an 8-year-old, I had a typical image of what jail would be like. Uh, Concrete bars with lots of security and dogs, etc. But when we got there, it was nothing like what I had imagined, you know. Uh, It was a normal house, a pretty house, a house better than the one I lived in. There was a swimming pool. I didn't have a swimming pool. Uh, There was a chef who watched The Never Ending Story. I mean, it was such a pleasant afternoon and of course we met the man himself who was such a warm, tall, handsome gentleman who was keen into what are we studying and what was our favorite subjects. And that was the first time I had an idea of what I wanted to do when I grew up. Which was I told myself when I grew up I want to go to jail.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then you you worked very hard at that. No. <laughs> no, tell me about the about the book and about the uh,
12: So, you know, journey. the reason why I wrote the book is obviously this year we are celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela. Right. And I wanted the book to really speak to the younger audience. Uh, for them to relate to Nelson Mandela, not so much as a president or this revolutionary icon, but as a grandfather, because all right. young people have a grandparent, you know, they can relate to well, the story. Well, if stories, they're lucky, if, if they're, they're lucky, lucky, you know, um, and something that all young people can relate to, you know, the, the stories that their grandparents told them, uh, being scolded by their grandparents, so I wanted them to see Nelson Mandela from a human side of things, not so much as a president. I want them to relate to Nelson Mandela and be able to truly understand the, the great example he played for leadership for the world. And what's your, what's your last memory of him? My last memory of him was really him, he, all he wanted to do was really settle back in the countryside where he had his fondest memories. So he kept on asking me, Ndaba, if I went to the countryside to retire, will you come with me? And I said yes, and he'd ask me this maybe once or twice a week. And how, how old were you at the time? At the time, it was probably, I was, how old was I? I was like 28, okay. about 28 years old, yeah.
0: And did you go and stay with him?
12: Well, he never ended up going back no. to the countryside because uh, the family was too scared of his health. And of course, being there in the countryside, he wouldn't have the same quality of uh, health Care services But that how he wonderful
0: worked. that you have the memory of him wanting you, you to be the one to join him.
12: Yes, I mean he, he, you know me and him really had a, a long relationship, and uh, at the end of the day, you know I became his protector, like he was my protector when I was young.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So what goes around comes around. That's right. I'm speaking with Indaba Mandela about his book Going to the Mountain about his grandfather Nelson Mandela. Thank you so much for coming and Thank talking you. to me. Uh, it's already very busy. I'm sure you're getting a. A big crowd over there?
12: Well, not yet. Not yet, but oh, I'm you definitely will. hoping for.
0: Even since you've just been here, the place has doubled with the, the people who've come in. Amazing, so.
12: amazing. Thank you Wonderful. for having me. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I
0: appreciate so much you coming over and talking with us. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. So this is Bridget Leroy at WPPB, 88.3 FM, org, And I have now coming up to talk to me, Patty Bosworth, come on up. And, and Judy Blundell, why don't you come over here as well? Sometimes we hi, can get two people. Hi. Come sit down, Patty. Have a seat. Yes.
13: What are we going to say? Well, I
0: don't know. What, what what haven't we said? And we also have, so we have Patricia Bosworth with her books, My, The Men in My Life, and her book about Tom Palumbo, uh, The Dreamer with a Thousand Thrills, Tom Palumbo. Be, here, you can pull it down. Pull it down.
13: Well, this way? This there way? There you go.
0: OK. And <laughs> hi. Yes. And this is uh, Judy Blundell, who wanted to know if we were live. Yes, we are. This is
14: no, no it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> with her
0: book, the high season novel. I like having two people to be able to talk to. Uh, have you guys
13: met before? We no, are but we know each other. You <laughs> do? Okay, that's great. I mean, great. I know her, by, her repu- by reputation. And we're sitting <laughs> right next to each other. Of course and you are. Starstruck. You're, you're out. We're bees.
0: As, you, as well you should be. <laughs> yes. Patricia, uh, I'm actually going to Patty's dinner afterward. Oh, Because we're old friends. Yes, and I'm so I knew happy her
13: father, her wonderful father, actually, Warner who ran Tavern on the Green among oh other things? Actually, tell
0: me, tell me, a, tell me a Warner LeRoy story on I'll the air. Can Go I ahead. do that? Yep, sure, Warner please. LeRoy was
13: a dear friend of mine, and he was a great restaurateur and ran Tavern on the Green. But years ago, he was an actor, and yes, I was in the was. show with him on Broadway. <laughs> and one night, he forgot to come on when he was supposed to deliver a letter to us. This is a Broadway show.
0: And what happened?
13: Uh, well, <laughs> Garson Kane, in the director, woke him up. He was sleeping in his dressing room. Woke him up. Warner rushed on stage and handed us the letter, Jan Sterling and me. And afterwards, he was so upset. This is what he gave us as a present, as a, as a I'm sorry present. What? He took us all to the Copacabana <laughs> to hear Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh
0: that sounds God, very much a, like my dad. That is a I wonderful love, story, Patty. Story. thank I've you. I've never
13: forgotten him or, or it.
0: Well, I treasure those stories. Thank you so much. And I'm going to talk to you about your books in a minute, but I want to turn over to Judy. Tell me about your book, The High Season.
14: Well, it's uh, set on the North Fork, and Ooh. I have been a children's book writer for most of my career, so right. this is my first Judy Blundell adult novel. It now, when you say
0: it, we don't say adult, adult novel. Makes no, it no, sound, no, I know. No, I not mean, an
14: adult. You mean not not a, book like grown ups. a book for grown-ups. <laughs> a book for grown-up readers. Okay. Yes, mature readers. Um, yeah, so it's set on the North Fork. It's about a woman named Ruthie who... Has to rent out her house every summer and in it, order to afford
0: it, and she uh, attracts an enormous bunch of charac- characters. Yes, ca- yes. Characters. She, is the she word. has
14: an ex-husband, and and her summer renter kind of just turns her life ar- around and kind of throws it up in the air, and she makes exactly the wrong decisions to get her life back. Oh, well, that's
0: sounds like a very interesting it sounds like a good beach read if we still get any more I beach weather i think it's a
14: pretty good beach read i think also it's set um, partially in the art world because she's a museum director which is part of the, my life as a spouse i call myself a museum spouse because <laughs> my husband is as the director of a museum oh, so wow. it's about it's about that world as well
0: so we're talking that's uh, judy blundell with her book the high season set on the north fork and yes. we also have patricia Bosworth with both of her books the Men in My Life and the book about your late husband, Tom Palumbo. You guys were at every event out here, and uh, I knew Tom and loved him dearly. That's right. Uh, but tell me about The Men in My Life, because the title betrays what it's really about. It, uh, it is about your life uh, well, as an actress. It's about my life, but
13: it's really about the most important men in my life, my father and my brother, and how they did commit suicide, uh, both of them, before I was 25 years old, and my, my story is how I survived their deaths yes. and moved on. Uh, and, uh,
0: and I know that the LA Times has called your book, I think, urgent and essential reading for all young women.
13: Well, I guess it's because I went through the very typical experiences of having an early marriage, which was very abusive. I had an abortion. Uh, Way was, before it was yeah, exactly. legal. Yeah. I too suffered from men, you know, accosting me when I was a model and an actress. And in those days, there were no, there were no places to go. There were no support groups. There was nothing and in in a way it's it still it's still going on <laughs> all those things are still going on of course uh, but at least now there's more help there's yes, more there's, information it's, it's right out there. it's out there and, for and people to be what, able yeah.
0: and the book about tom just uh quickly it's a book of well, photographs the
13: book about tom is tom palumbo was a fashion photographer for vogue and Bazaar at the height of fashion in the 50s when fashion was beautiful and serene and elegant and it's we really did publish. A record, a, we a published some of those, of those his, stories of his work,
0: and and we published fantastic photos in the Independent yes. when I interviewed you a couple of weeks, and weeks ago. White. But but some of the ones we didn't publish are pictures of Jack Kerouac and yes. Miles Davis which just absolutely fantastic and Jane
13: Fonda, and many well, other people. Uh, Miles Davis. I'm gonna let you guys get back to your tables. Well, we're, but yes, I will be seeing. Have
0: to. You you have. Crowds I'm sure are waiting well, to have their we books. Don't on. Know yet,
14: but uh it's uh, amazingly lively and crowded here. Oh it's, it's always been very is. Exciting. my first year, yes. so wow.
0: It's a very popular event. Really people very, love very the East exciting. Hampton Library and isn't it wonderful that people come out to support it and, and buy books?
14: I, I spent a year living in Montauk. A while ago, and the East Hampton Library kind of saved my life in the winter. That's great. <laughs> <Of course>. That's <laughs> wonderful. So well, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Judy Blundell with The High Season, and Patty Bosworth, my old friend who I'll have dinner with later on. Yes, uh, yes. With your books, The Men in My Life and The Book About Tom. Thank you so, much. Thank, a you so much. Thank you. This is Bridget Leroy, your host on WPPB 88.3 FM. You can also listen online at peconicpublicbroadcasting.org. And now we have with us. Anne Purcell and Bob Roth. Hi, oh, yeah. so nice Hi, how to are meet you. you. Anne Purcell is here with her book, *The Power of Transcendence*, and Bob Roth, uh, *Transcendental Meditation*. You studied with the Maharishi. Uh,
15: so did, so did. Oh, you
0: both did. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've known yeah.
16: each other for over 40 years.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. tell, uh, how do people find a little peace right now? Uh, and
16: peace exists within everyone. It's just a matter of uh, accessing that peace. And transcendental meditation is a very simple, very natural, effortless technique
0: to ex- access that peace. And you're, uh, I mean, you, you've you been, th- th- this is not your first book. No, but this is, <laughs> yeah, I've, written, I've
15: written others. But this yes. is the first time I've been, like Kim, I've been teaching, uh, or Ann, I've been yeah. teaching for over 40 years. And so this book is a compilation of my experiences teaching well-known people, but also I head up a foundation that Anne is a supporter of, bringing it to now a million inner-city school kids, veterans with post-traumatic stress, women who are survivors of domestic violence, and talking about that something like transcendental meditation is no longer a luxury but absolutely an essential, almost a, a medical intervention for all of us who absolutely. are dealing with stress.
16: Bob is the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation. Oh, wow. We yes. speak
15: for each other here. Yes, I see. That's so wonderful. And you're wonderful, by the way. I've been, I been—I was watching. You do a really good <laughs> oh, job. Oh,
0: thanks. Well, I chant uh, nam myo kyo my husband and I. Yes. yes, he's got the shirt on. Yeah. So it's not quite the same thing, but we understand the yes. the power of centering yourself, especially before a yes, big event yes, like this. Yes. And you two are so clear-eyed and calm right now <laughs> in the midst of all of this. That's
15: because I'm around her. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's a sweet
0: talker, isn't he? Yes. Um, but as far as the books go, I know a lot of people take classes or you know, sometimes pay a lot of money in order to, to study TM. What can they get out of a book? Can they get the same...
16: You, you know. need to take a course from a trained teacher. Right. It does cost money, but it's absolutely the best investment you can make your whole life. If you divided it by every day of the rest of your life and all the money you would save in healthcare care costs and and in time, energy, and, and energy. Have, have they
0: actually been able to you know, prove? I mean, I'm, I know the answer uh, yeah, to
15: yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, there's been now in the last 40 years over 400 research studies now conducted at Harvard Medical School and UCLA and Stanford Medical School and published in the top medical journals, including the American Medical Association, that says it's uh, transcendental meditation is the most effective for reducing stress and stress-related disorders like anxiety, which so many people suffer of from course. these days, depression, insomnia. Well, let's face it. I mean,
0: also, if you're stressed out, I'm sorry to interrupt, then you, it, it affects your immune system and then you can get yes. anything. That's
15: right. Yes. And I wanted to say one thing. is that There are many meditations, obviously. And they have different outcomes. And you can s- learn some by going online. You can learn some in a group. The thing about Transcendental Meditation is that it's it, you have your own teacher. That's what you have, your own private teacher right. who's your, your mentor Yogi. for life. Right. Yeah. And so that teacher or any other TM teacher instructs you how to transcend, how to access that silence that lies within, and then, and then helps you stay with it and gives you traction throughout yeah. your life. So it's a nonprofit. There is a course fee. If a person doesn't have the money, then there's scholarships. So we don't like anybody to stay, you know, be kept from it. And
0: where are, Where's the headquarters?
15: Um, we have Well, David Lynch Foundation is in New York. Right. But we're out here in the Hamptons. We're teaching uh, TM in Bridgehampton. Oh, you this, are? Where? Yeah, where I live. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you can email me at bob at davidlynchfoundation.org. Okay. Bob at davidlynchfoundation.org. And if you're interested in learning then you can do it.
0: And this is Bob Roth with his New York Times bestseller, Strength in Stillness, The Power of Transcendental Meditation. And also here with Anne Purcell, The Power of Transcendence, Growing in Love, Creativity, Health and Happiness. I want to thank you both so much for coming on. Thank Thank you for doing what you do. You calmed me down and that's wonderful. And I will be in touch. Thank Thank you, you. thank Thank you. 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 So it's Bridget Leroy here with Kyle (laughs) and Kelly. At the radio table for WPPB-FM. And uh, we are about to sit down and talk with a giant of the political world, Stuart Eisenstadt. Can I wear this? Yes, please, if, if it makes you feel comfortable. Who has written a book about President Carter's White House years. Uh, Stuart Eisenstadt, it's an honor to talk to you. Thank you. Thank and you. you're by Madeleine Albright, another giant... Um, You were with uh, President Carter right from his uh, Georgia days, weren't you?
17: I was. I was his policy director when he ran for governor, when he ran for president, and then I was his chief White House domestic policy advisor for four years in the White House, but also a back channel officially to Israel during the Middle East peace process and involved in Iran sanctions, Russia sanctions, across the board.
0: So why write this book now?
17: I wrote the book now because I feel like all eyewitnesses are getting older. And before history's verdict is indelibly sealed, looking at him as a failed president, I think it was important to write a reassessment. I don't shirk from looking at his faults or mine, Iran, inflation, inexperience by himself and his Georgia Mafia and inter-party warfare with Ted Kennedy. But they have overshadowed enormous accomplishments at home and abroad, energy, the environment, ethics, uh, Making the new vice presidency a real office, Camp David, human rights, China normalization. Well, now he's thought of as being a, a hero. I mean, it, well, he's thought of as being an excellent former president. And what I want to do is reassess his presidency to look at the full person and to see it as an honest and candid book. It's gotten great reviews by the New York Times, and Washington Post, and National Review because it is an important reassessment, but it's honest about mistakes as well as successes. And I didn't want the failures, and we had them, to overshadow the enormous positive impact that he had at home and abroad.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come up and talk with me. This is a, looks like a, an exhaustive study and one that comes from your heart, clearly. And uh, that's Stuart Eisenstadt we're talking with about his book, President Carter, The White House Years, for which he was there. And we have next to you a very interesting guest. I like this combination a, a very, very much. A very dear
17: friend and, and one who has strongly endorsed my book.
0: Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Hello, Dr. Ruth, how are you?
7: Not only did I endorse this book, but I already read in it. You've already read it? But I, there are many questions I have. It doesn't tell me about the President Carter's sex life. <laughs> Come on. You now, all about Stuart, it. Stewart, all these so pages his next
0: spoke. Well,
17: I I didn't you're have, making him I did have one uh, anecdote about sex which was he struck a congressman off a uh, delegation when he found that he was sleeping with someone else. So, he was a pretty strict moralist. Uh, well,
0: that's that's actually <laughs> refreshing to hear <laughs> after what we're going through now. Actually.
7: Actually, because of my background and because of coming you know, as a German Jewish refugee, I'm fascinated about what people write about past presidents. And I'm actually old fashioned in the square. And I (laughs) like that he didn't reveal anything about their sex life. But I know about peanuts. You know about peanuts? Did you say that? You said but, peanuts, I'm but, making sure. But
17: people do remember Lust in My Heart. Yes, of course, Playboy of interview. course.
0: And now we wish that there was just, that was all there was. That's right. But Dr. Ruth, I want to talk to you. You have new books. I want to ask you, my question is, how has social media changed the sexual revolution? Because I'm sure I'll you're up to you date. i
7: what it has done. First of all, now, now that I plucked this book I'm going to plug my two books. Okay. Well, so, talking about social media, Yes. to you NPR, the book here, from you to two, very important because in the tradition, in the Jewish tradition it says, not good for men to be alone. Right. Which is also means not good for women to be alone. Not good for anybody to so be alone. I, exactly, I want people to find somebody But, careful. And then I did a book, Stay or Go, at the same time, because sometimes a relationship is not so good. Right. So I'm telling people, listen to social media, find out, do it carefully. But in my many years of therapy, I have never told a couple to stay together for the sake of their children. Because it doesn't work. No. I only say, make sure that your children are taken care of.
0: Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you both enough. Uh, It's wonderful. I'm going to let you go back. I'm sure you have crowds of people waiting to sign You have to work because
7: we have to sell books so that the library is going to make a lot of money. Yes. And And this is all about the East Hampton Library. I want to tell NPR that I just turned 90 but I love this man, and I'm going to have dinner with him tonight with 30 other people. Oh,
0: well, you are both very lucky to have each and other. Care. Okay, thank you so much, Stuart Eisenstadt, with President Carter. He just kissed Dr. Ruth Westheimer's hand, and Dr. Ruth Westheimer. And we have on deck here one of the great, great writers, Mr. Robert Caro. This is Bridget Leroy, your host on WPPB. FM, peconicpublicbroadcasting.org. Bridget Leroy from The Independent. I may not say that enough. And Robert Caro and Stuart Eisenstadt are having a word together. But uh, here he comes, Bob Caro. Hello, Mr. Caro. I'm so happy to see you. Nice to be here. Really glad you're here. Please sit down. I have not seen you in many a year. Bridget Leroy, I'm yes.
18: Warner's daughter. I, I actually know. remember you. Oh, yes. you do? Yeah. I remember you, I don't you too. remember the occasion, but I remember your face. Probably okay. one of
0: Dad's famous events, but I'm glad to see you. And uh, your Lyndon Johnson books, this is your fourth volume?
18: Well, I've, I've published four. Yeah, yeah, I'm writing the fifth. Oh,
0: If you want to. Yes. It helps to I put, on, one, the, yeah, that's put that's on that. The, oh, oh, I can hi, actually hear you. Bob Carroll, oh. with your book. Um, when you packed up everything, so to speak, and, and moved down to Texas to do this series. Did you know you were going to be writing five different books? Or did no, you kind of think you were going no. to fit it all into one?
18: No, I thought I was going to fit it into three. right? Because I, when I wrote The Power Broker, I had to cut so much out of it. That's the but, Robert Moses book. Yes, the Robert Moses book that I, th- that I don't think should have been cut. And so I said, when I mo- do Lyndon Johnson, I don't want to cut. Oh, oh that won't be on your...
0: I, we'll see. I mean, this is live, so it's going to be what it is, what it is.
18: Oh, sorry, I didn't I, did I give so, you performance so, anxiety? So for your <laughs> listeners, a long train is passing the broadcast. Yeah, the
0: Montauk okay, special okay, is okay, heading uh, high. Uh, That's uh, okay.
18: No, but of course, it became longer because you you focus on like the stolen election that put him in in the Senate right. by eighty-seven votes. So that had just been treated in a you know a few pages or perhaps a chapter but stolen elections are a big part of American political history. And I said, I wanna take one stolen election and really show what a stolen election is. And that took almost the whole book.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Now I understand about this most recent one, this covers the uh, Kennedy assassination. And I've heard the New York Times say that it is the most chilling and and realistic version that just about has ever been written.
18: At the time said nice. But you know, it's such a, a dramatic, moment in american history and what johnson does thereafter in the next few days you know about three days after he's four days after the assassination he has to give an address to the joint session of congress and they his speechwriters say to him whatever you do we're not going to don't mention civil rights don't make it a priority or you're going to antagonize the southerners who control congress and they won't let any legislation through they say it's a noble cause but it's a lost cause right. don't, he says well what the hell is the presidency for then and he says our first priority is civil rights it's a thrill i don't know it, it, it's thrill, it was thrilling to me to learn about it yeah actually.
0: And what, what drew you to, to writing about LBJ? Uh, there it, it was the stolen election, but.
18: Well, in general, it's yeah. because I'm interested in power. Well, my books, each one is about Lyndon Johnson and another aspect of how power works. Right. And the presidency, I wrote a book called Master of the Senate. That was like a whole new world. I had no idea how the Senate really worked. And to tell you the truth, not many people did
0: yeah so you were you're going through your own self-exploration while you write these
18: yeah absolutely people say why does it take you so long to do the books you know i when i did the senate thing i said nobody understands this including me right and on the first volume i said to my wife ina you know we're going to have to move to the hill country because i don't understand these people. It's so barren and lonely and isolated But there. Ina
0: is also a, an incredible historian. Ina, I
18: mean. Ina writes the most wonderful books on France. Yeah. And I. Sh- so when we're in France, I chauffeur her around <laughs> and carry her book bag. Yeah.
0: And when you're in Texas, she...
18: We, we, she helps... Well, Ina does research. She's the only person... I always say other historians have teams of researchers, three or four researchers, Einer is the whole team. She's the only person beside myself who's ever done research on these books.
0: Now, what did you think of the LBJ film that came out last year?
18: To be honest, I didn't see it. I didn't either. (laughs) I was (laughs) hoping you would elucidate and
0: enlighten me, but uh, I'm speaking with Robert Caro, the author of The Years of Lyndon Johnson, the, uh, The Path to Power. And there's another volume that you're now, I assume, hard at work on. Yes. And what's the last... It's going to be the... This it, that
18: takes him to his death. It's the rest death. of his presidency. It's... Viet, you know, it's, it's... At the moment that he passes Medicare, he's planning to escalate the Vietnam War. So he passes all these great social welfare programs. 70 education bills, Medicare, voting rights, Medicaid, civil rights. And then it's all swallowed up by Vietnam. Of course. Yeah.
0: What is the most... Um, surprising thing that you've discovered maybe about him personally
18: oh about him personally i I don't think it's one thing bridget it's what a genius he was at using power you know when he was majority leader of the senate for six years the senate worked the senate was the center of governmental energy and creativity in washington it's not eisenhower's civil rights bill it's lyndon johnson's civil rights bill
0: Uh, Bob Caro, I just can't thank you enough. It's wonderful to see you again and wonderful for you to be here supporting the East Hampton Library Authors' Night. It's always a pleasure. I'm going to let you go. It is so crowded now.
18: Thanks, Bridget. Thanks so much.
0: Uh, This is Bridget Leroy hosting for WPPB, and we have on deck Wednesday Martin. Hi. Come on up. How are you? Oh, they're friends. Robert Caro and Wednesday Martin are shaking hands and saying Hi. Uh, come on up. It's so nice to meet you. Hi. Hi. I was actually great. Her book, Untrue and Primates of Park Avenue. That's a new one, but I've heard about this.
8: You have to speak into the mic. I can't hear you. What did you bring? I brought both of my books, my new book, Untrue. Right. And I brought an internal clitoris.
0: Oh, my goodness. Which is
8: something that a lot of women might not know that they have.
0: Oh well, thank you. Yeah, would you like? I'll just put that in my pocket for later. Thank you so much. I was just uh, talking about you with uh, my my yeah with my aunt and uncle uh, Mort and Linda Janklow, who ran into I guess you with your son. Is his name Logan?
8: His name is Lyle. Lyle, I'm sorry. I I ran into them at the. Children's Museum, I think it was. At the, the Children's Museum of East End and we had a nice talk about books. You know, and I was kids. actually I was
0: one of the founders of that museum.
8: Okay, well my husband's on the board and oh, I cool. love I love their Head Start program. Yeah, and a if great you place. if you buy a copy of Primates of Park Avenue at me we donate all the money to the Head Start program. But this is so
0: interesting because I mean you really are an anthropologist who kind of like dissected
8: The Upper East Side. The Upper East
0: Side. So, I mean, tell me about that. That is just such an interesting idea. And I know that's not your most recent book. We'll get to that.
8: Primates of Park Avenue is a memoir about living on the Upper East Side. And when I realized what a strange, fascinating world motherhood on the Upper East Side was and how it was separate from the rest of New York City, I thought... I should use anthropology to kind of try to crack the <laughs> cultural code because the outfits are so over the top and the migration patterns are so specific and motherhood is really a separate animal up there. Oh sure. So those women I really did look at them as a tribe right? Um, and that they have their own cultural logic and practices so that's what Primates of Park Avenue is about. Now tell
0: me about your, la- your latest book Untrue, why nearly everything we believe about women lust and infidelity is wrong and how the new science can set us free so it it comes it's all about science
8: this book uses anthropology again and some other social science to peel back the layers of women who cheat or women who are openly non-monogamous yes and sort of breaks open all the biases that have prevailed for a long time in understanding female sexuality so i interviewed 30 experts who are part of what i'm calling the great correction They're correcting all the bias in the science about female sexuality. Like who?
0: Give me an example.
8: uh, Well, one of them is the sociologist Alicia Walker who has studied female infidelity. One is Marta Miana who has studied the reasons women might seem to have lower desire than men. Um, one of the do you myths, think
0: that do you think that they do the women? I do not. I
8: do not. What what these scientists are learning, who are part of the Great Correction, and what they're trying to help people understand, is that when we measure libido correctly, women's libidos are every bit as strong as men. So all kinds of myths about female sexuality are being rewritten, and I'm crossing that science over for women and men who aren't scientists and who can benefit from it.
0: That's amazing and wonderful. And you're such an amazing and wonderful person. You, and Ken Lipper is doing your dinner tonight. Ken
8: Lipper doing our dinner tonight. Anybody who buys a copy of Untrue at the tent today and shows me their pre-order, because it's not available until September 18th. But if you pre-order it today, I will donate every dollar that somebody spends on a pre-order of Untrue in the tent to the library thank you so much thanks, Wednesday and I'm so happy me. to meet great you great to see you great wonderful to meet you. thanks so
0: that's Wednesday Martin with her books Untrue and Primates of Park Avenue oh my gosh thank you yes absolutely uh thank you so much and we have on deck two authors now come on come on up Jerry. yeah yeah well I'd like to talk to two people at the same time especially I like to to mix it up so come oh, on it's come it's on it's in it's yeah up, up, we're right gonna up. mix it up we have uh, Jamie Brenner with her book The Husband Hour and we also have Jerry Curatola, <laughs> dentist to formerly the dentist of the Hamptons now dentist <laughs> of the stars for God's sakes back to the Hamptons. I knew you when but first uh, let's have a word with with Jamie uh, tell me a little bit about this book I know that it's uh, an empowering book for women
19: Yeah. So The Husband Hour is about a woman who loses her husband, runs to her family beach house for absolute privacy, and instead is followed there by her mother, her sister, her father, of course. But she's also tracked down by a documentary filmmaker looking to tell her husband's story. Right. I have heard that there's
0: a huge amount of interesting characters that kind of surround this woman who's just newly widowed, right? Yes.
19: And of course the one thing she wants to be left alone is the last thing she gets because that's (laughs) the stuff of great fiction, right?
0: And this is Jamie Brenner with The Husband Hour Um, and this looks like, just the cover looks like good beach reading.
19: Yeah, I write beach novels set in different towns. My next one's set in Sag Harbor. It's called Drawing Home. And that's coming in May. And which, where is this one this set? This one is the Jersey Shore. Okay, and what was the last one, Forever Summer? The, the Forever, Forever Summer? Summer, which was set in Provincetown. Okay, so you're kind of going all
0: I'm up and down. The I'm oh, making the so rounds. Oh, that's so But the next one is Sag Harbor. Sag Harbor. So we're going to look forward to that. Yes. Let me have a word here with uh, Jerry Curatola. And your, you have, like, yes, of course. When did you um, have time to write a book, Jerry? In between...
20: Uh people with their mouths open.
0: <laughs> well, my mouth is open. My mouth is I, always I could open. I like get
20: another book in.
0: <laughs> uh, do you guys, have you met before? We have not. We have met. Oh, That's well. what is well, all I about. I want to read you know. it. I know. This and is a
20: great beach book.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. And Jerry's book is, uh, Jer- Jerry is a dentist, a, but also a, like a, a, now is opening a wellness center in East yeah. Hampton. I'm a
20: biologic restorative dentist, so yeah. biologic means... Well, it used to be like holistic, but you know, there's so much toxicity that starts in the mouth that affects the whole body. So the mouth is sor- sort of a mirror and a gateway mm-hmm. uh, to health in the whole body and there's, everybody's doing their detox, their, uh, sure, they're, they're,
0: they're detoxing their, their body, yeah, their and, liver and they're, and and know, they're not and thinking about their mouth. And a
20: lot of, even a lot of, a lot of physicians are treating the body as if the mouth is divorced or mm-hmm. like something separate when, you know, gum disease gives you a 10 times greater chance of a heart attack. Really? Yeah. That's
0: scary. Seven times
20: greater chance of adult-onset diabetes. Let me see, You've,
0: you've good teeth. M- I'm, I'm Now teeth. I'm wondering. Yeah. <laughs> i to put that top of my priority list. I uh, know, exactly. That's Ellen. Jamie Brenner with her book, The Husband Hour. And we make strange bedfellows here at the Learned author's night. Learn something
10: new night. every day. It's,
20: Absolutely. It's teeth and husbands. Exactly. exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. What else do you have to worry about? Well, maybe someone, maybe if you have a widow in your next book, The Husband, it could be because of gum disease. There, right.
19: you, go. there you go. You That's got problem solved. <laughs> so
20: dentists, um, you know, dentists are crazy. They, they, uh, They had the highest rate of suicide for many years. Really? I thought it was
0: um, psychologists or psychiatrists because they have access to the drugs as well. Ah, no. And now it's dentists. Dentists
20: had the highest rate of suicide and highest rates of depression, neurological problems. But they work with something that still exists that I talk about in the book mercury. Right. Mercury and silver, they call them silver fillings. They're 52% mercury. Mm. So they're not silver, they're really silver colored mercury fillings and and they're toxic. So dentists work with this, they stick a drill in it, they take them out unsafely. So we talk about all that. We talk about nutrition and I even have, so this book is all about the mouth is a source of chronic low grade inflammation. And that affects everything from Alzheimer's to colorectal cancer. And it's really
0: amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. if you, you think about this, I mean, I Jamie Brenner want, has her I'm mouth I'm clearly
19: worrying about the wrong things. No. So <laughs> I've got to get my hands in this book. Well,
0: because not <laughs> only that, Jerry has invented a new toothpaste yeah. that is Revitin. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and inven- it, I mean, this is so cool. Seriously. So I, I
20: invented the toothpaste that is the opposite of what you've been told your whole life. Kill germs in the mouth. You got to yes. kill bacteria. Yes. Oil pull, charcoal, da 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 da. Whether it's natural or synthetic, killing bacteria in your mouth is like killing a coral reef protecting an island. So, so what, what is you, so what's what you really want to do? Like I was on the Martha Stewart show, oh years ago, and I was developing this, and uh, and I said, Martha, you know, toothpaste was invented by soap makers a hundred years ago in the 1970s. Um, we started putting bug killers in, you know, like Listerine, kill germs right. on contact and all this. And uh, I said, that's time for doctors to get out of the pesticide business. And what I'm promoting is organic gardening for the mouth. We're talking to so, uh,
0: Dr. Jerry Curatola, DDS, who is uh, Hampton's personality and back with Resonant. a new wellness center and we're talking <laughs> or, or listening rather with Jamie Brenner from the Husband <laughs> Hour.
19: Who now knows she's doing everything wrong no, when it, it comes to her teeth. No,
0: but what I want to know, and uh, Jerry, is what's the difference because people don't know between a prebiotic, which is what your toothpaste is, and a probiotic. That is
20: a fantastic question.
0: So oh, thanks That honey. is a
20: fantastic, you get the prize today. I love you too. So probiotics are good bacteria. So prebiotics are helpers oh i need that <laughs> I I sorry i'm
0: fanning <laughs> I like jerry curatola everybody's
20: here melting under I the know, tent
0: <laughs> but anyway so yeah. so
20: prebiotics are things ingredients that foster a healthy robust probiotic environment so you know bacteria are not there's no such thing as good bacteria and bad bacteria it's just bacteria right they express themselves good when the environment is good. That's what the microbiome's all about. The microbiome is this environment of billions of bacteria. So when the environment's good, they express themselves good, we call those probiotics. When they express themselves bad, we call those pathogens. Okay. And they make you really sick. So the objective here is not about the what naturopaths say, it's not about the seed, it's about the soil. The objective here is to create a healthy environment in and on our bodies not just in this beautiful farmland outside this tent right
0: well thanks and jerry i, I appreciate yeah. it and um save a tube for me you got it and uh <laughs> jamie brenner uh, the husband hour i mean this sounds like just a fascinating book is there any interest already uh, in a film version it seems like it would be yes what there is i'm
19: working on a script right now you but are that's a slow process
0: yeah it sure is but that's fantastic it just sounds like it would be a sad and funny and poignant and and everything all put together that's the that's the
19: goal but thank you very much I just I I just have
20: to say one thing to Jamie okay Jamie this looks like the beach in East Hampton it does not look like the Jersey Shore (laughs)
19: <laughs> well,
0: maybe just like a little teeny bit much, if you squint. Much night, right? <laughs> I
19: think that's a misconception about the Jersey Shore. It does look like a ham fin. Yeah, a li- it does. I am going to stand by that. Bit. I mean, a
20: I've been down bit, to fever. A Like the if you smoking and, something. Oh, you know. stop.
19: However, with the drink in so your hands. I'm sorry. On, oh. I
20: well, know, i have been wonderful to the Jersey Shore. It's
0: really filling up, guys, so I'm going to let yeah. you go back All and sign right. yeah. books. You so thank you so for wonderful, supporting. Wonderful, wonderful.
20: Bridget, thank you so much. Jerry,
0: great seeing Thanks, you. It's so nice to meet you, Jamie. You I hope too. I see you Bye. again. And thank you for supporting East Hampton Library's Authors' Night. We're here with WPPB, 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can listen online at peconicpublicbroadcasting.org. And I have here, oh my gosh, please sit down for a minute, one of my favorite people, and the recipient of yesterday's mercy bouquet, with Owen Hughes and Kimberly Goff. Kimberly, I just brought me a copy of a *Meet the Writers*. Her her mother Elaine Benson kind of started the, the. Uh, I guess kind of the the embryo for what has become Authors' Night. Oh, Elaine, it's and she's brought me a copy of *Meet the Writers*, the Steinbeck Project, a book. Uh, this was when it was. Um, a uh, a fundraiser for Southampton College, for the writer's program, right? For the library and for the writer's
21: room, for the John Steinbeck Writing Room, right. which welcomed all the authors to come and use the facilities to write whenever they wanted to get out of their private spaces and into a place where they could be isolated and have nothing to do but write. It's such a wonderful
0: cause, because here we are in this room with over 100 authors signing their books and I'm here with uh, Kimberly Goff. Uh, so what is it like when you come to see this? Does it remind you of of your mom in those days? Actually, I think you'll laugh. Uh-
21: a pair of tickets were offered on 88.3 on the radio. Yes, and I called in and got the tickets. <laughs> oh,
0: you did not? <laughs> I really? Did. Oh, that's so great. And
16: I, I wanted love to it. be here. I
21: knew you were going to be the commentator and I definitely wanted to come and I have not come to this in
0: the past. Are you going to one of the dinners as well? No, I you're d- but you're going to get some books signed. Of
21: course. I'm and s- I was so happy to come because I'm so glad all you're these here. years I've heard about it and at one point it was talked about that I would come and talk about the history. And it's never happened.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you're here now. So, so. Well,
21: it's all about you, love, because I wanted to see oh, you. Oh,
0: Kimberly, <laughs> that's so sweet. Uh- I, I just remember going to these um, and it was it was the kickoff to the summer. I mean, that was the beginning of the summer it season. It was the
21: official opening and I'm wearing the jacket that my mother wore
0: most of the years. You did? Oh, how wonderful. So it's like Elaine's with us right <laughs> now. She's Thank
21: with you. us because I'm wearing the earrings that she got me and I'm wearing the jacket that she wore. Oh, and, it's, oh, and you're wearing earrings wearing, that are I'm little books. Are I love little, it.
0: They're, they're actually copies of the Lotus Sutra. Excellent. Isn't that wonderful? They're gorgeous. I and love them. Owen's arm is, Owen had a bad, nasty slip and was sent, did you get the bouquet you we from, haven't yet from No, Bonnie? i haven't
21: heard from them yet oh but, but she you, did put it on the radio yes. station and she did put i'm sure it. you're on the air on it and I heard you talking about the Steinbeck Book Fair. Yes. And then I also saw that on the webpage for Air 88.3, for the, the radio station's webpage that we're the first people who come up.
0: Yes, I saw that, it's <laughs> <That's laughs> <so> wonderful.
21: <laughs> really adorable. And we
0: also have here with us wonderful Helen Harrison, who's the director of the Paula krasner House and Study Center, so glad to have you here. Thank and you and so she much, has a new I'm book. happy to I, be here. I know, I keep putting my hands on the literally. Yes. So, it's wonderful to see you, Kimberly. Uh, This is a book that, I mean, yes, please put on the headphones, Helen. Okay, thank you so much. Sorry, it's a little bit of mayhem here. Hi, Helen. It's supposed to be. I know, (laughs) it's wonderful. All these people are here to support. There's people of all ages, shapes, sizes, colors here. And uh, this book has a very, very local bent to it.
10: Absolutely. This is set today, August Saturday, August 11th, but 62 years ago
0: which is the day the day
10: jackson pollock was killed in an automobile accident and it's just a weird coincidence that it happened to be author's night on the same date at which the book was set
0: well he must be here wa- looking watching I over you i hope not <laughs> <laughs> uh helen tell me about uh, how long have you had the idea for this book well i had i mean been you've been how long have you been at the pollock
10: krasner house oh i've house? been at the pollock krasner house for 28 years okay and i Obviously, I've read all the biographies, and I know the story of the car crash very well. Of course. But I had written a previous mystery for which I invented two New York City police officers. Right. These are fictional characters. And I I really like these people. And I thought, let's do something else with them, bring them along to like the next step. And the next step was from the 1940s into the 1950s. So I thought, well, let's bring them out to the Hamptons and see what kind of trouble I can get them into. And it just kind of evolved naturally from that.
0: And Helen's book is called An Accidental Corpse, and it is about uh, Jackson Pollock's car crash and the body of the girl that was also in the car with him.
10: there, There were two women in the car with him. One was his mistress, Ruth Kligman, and another, the other one, was her friend who came out from the city just for the weekend, and her name was Edith Metzger. And she was also a fatality in the crash. But? But was she actually dead before the car
0: crashed? Now, is that, is that fact or is that fiction? Well, you gotta read the book to find out. <laughs> you are a good salesperson, <laughs> Alan. I appreciate that. Is Roy here tonight, too? No,
10: he will oh. be joining me later at the dinner party, but uh, he's not within the tent. And now, who's who's hosting your dinner? Sandy and Steve Pearlbinder in Sagaponics. Oh, how so, wonderful. Oh, they got a
0: beautiful home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, I always love seeing you and mm-hmm. and you do such an amazing job and we actually uh, ran a story recently about the parking, right. parking issues that are going on with the Jackson Pollock House. Well, we we're worried,
10: working on solving those good. issues and we have a lot of community support so I think it will all work out. Just a little bit chaotic right now because it's the middle of the
0: season. Of course it is mm-hmm. and 62 years ago today, Jackson Pollock had the crash, and no. here you are with the book. So, and the opening of the book is set at the fisherman's fair, which, which was, was today. today. We stopped by. It's amazing. It was wonderful. It just cleared up just at the time that we we got oh, wow. there, so it was amazing. So it
10: was a double coincidence. Yes, really interesting.
0: And it's just wonderful to, to see you. And I'll let you go because there are so many I books know. and. It's got a line behind mm, me. Waiting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and thank you for coming out as you, I knew you would. Of course, mm-hmm. to support the East Hampton Library and Authors Night. One thing I do have to say yeah. before I go is that the
10: East Hampton Library Long Island collection was absolutely crucial to the research on mm-hmm. this book. So it's an I'm amazing very collection. Grateful. They had the funeral records. Wow, it was amazing, and all kinds of you know the the um, railroad timetables, things like that. So without them, I could not have really made the setting as authentic
0: as it is. That's fantastic. Helen Harrison and her book "An Accidental Corpse" about a mystery surrounding mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock's death, and he died 62 years mm-hmm. ago today. Yes. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so thank you so much, Helen. Yes, I appreciate you're it. You're most welcome. And we have on deck here... Hi, how are you? This is Glennis McNichol. Do you have a copy of your book with you? Hi, please sit down. Do you have a, co- a copy of your book with you? Oh, I didn't bring it with me. It's over uh, at the table. But I know what it's called. It's called... No One Tells You This. Exactly. <laughs> no One Tells You This.
22: And it's about... It's a memoir of my 40th year. I... Right, about turning 40. I, I turned I, 40. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. And I sort of uh, struck me immediately how a few stories there were about women that didn't end in marriage or a baby. The right. narratives we have around women's lives are fairly narrow and so I spent a lot of the year complaining about that in different writing and by the end of the year I decided I had enough material to turn it into a memoir.
0: To turn it into a memoir. Mm-hmm. Now you've done, obviously written been writing for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this was book material. This was book felt. material.
22: I felt and then I convinced Simon and Schuster that I was correct. Oh, good for <laughs> you. Yes.
0: So what is the the be all? I mean, not the be all and end all. Obviously, we don't want to give it away. But what were some of the discoveries that you made? I assume you talked to other women?
22: No, it's a, it's entirely it's, just it's, you, it's, it's you. very it's very memoiry. That's I really great. felt like I wanted to like as deeply and intensely as possible speak about the experience and on the one hand, I think we talk about women who are single as spoiled, and the other, objects of pity. And what I and that's
0: I, what happens. You think the magic age is like forty, kind of a magic like 40 age is where the women cliff reevaluate. We
22: always hit being like, oh my, it's like the deadline for so much. Um, and so my experience that year was that things were so much more exhilarating and enjoyable than I could have anticipated, and also. very difficult my mother was quite ill I was the primary caretaker my sister was home alone with three kids and so it was my experience was completely the opposite and I just thought why don't we why am I not seeing my life reflected back at me in culture when I know that the numbers back up that single women are like an increasing demographic and so I just thought like let's just really like get in there and talk about what's great and what's difficult and the year just lent itself to that narrative. Oh, that's wonderful. There and are some cowboys at the end. Uh, there's some cowboys.
0: <laughs> Oh come on! You don't wrap it up with cowboys, do you, Glynis? Come uh, on.
22: Possibly, I ride off into the sunset. Maybe. Oh, maybe.
0: <laughs> well, it's always possible, but it's fine if you don't. Yes, th- it's it's fine if you don't.
22: It's all fine. You are one
0: of the best dressed people here, too. Oh, well, by the I way, I appreciate uh, that so Glynis much. Because Glynis McNichol, uh, the author, is wearing this green goddess—not not like the dressing. She's wearing a green goddess dress, <laughs> like to the floor. The
22: dressing sounds nice. Also. Yes, yes. Well, it's wonderful. Thank you for Thank coming up, you. and I'm
0: sure you're going to everyone's yes. going to be very interested There's in it.
22: There's a review of the book in the Times this weekend. Oh, there is? So, okay, yes, great. It's an easy reference for anybody that wants to, to
0: take a look. Take a gander. Oh, thanks so much, <laughs> Glennis. Thank it's you so Nichols much for, for having joining me. me here, WPPB, 88.3 FM. And I think we're going to take a little break right now. Uh, thanks. We're back. It's Bridget Leroy, your host of Authors' Night 2018, for the East Hampton Library, uh, and we're here at WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also stream at peconicpublicbroadcasting.org. And I'm here with uh, Miss Catherine Sur- now I- Sur-Mac? Uh-huh. Surmac. And you've written this book, and you have had the most amazing life I've been, ten, ten I've been very lucky. Ten years with Betty Davis, the greatest one of the greatest film stars ever in history. And you've written a book, Miss D and Me, Life with the Invincible Betty Davis.
23: Yes, and thank you very much for having us. Miss D would be so thrilled as we spent time on Long Island. Well, and in the book it tells you family reunion and it, uh, we were getting ready to make two films. So she's a New England Yankee.
0: Well, you know, my grandfather directed her in a film in 1932, Three on a Match.
23: Oh, my God! My grandfather,
0: Mervin LeRoy, so, so he had some stories as well. I am
23: sure. Uh, I,
0: so what was it like to spend? You, you were with her for her final 10 years, is the, that correct? It's the and
23: final 10 years, but the whole story, actually, it's a true story, because it's one of my promises to Miss D that she said, Kath, it's a great story. One day, you must tell our story. It's about two women. When I first met Miss Davis, like any 21, 22, you think you know the world. Right. And Miss D was 71. I did not know who she was.
0: I, was I mean, you knew who she was. No, I did not. You didn't know who no, she was at I all. I did not.
23: I was studying to be a doctor. Wow. And when you're studying, I did not grow up in cinema. But I do tell the story, maybe when I was seven, there was, my parents let us, you know, you're in the family room, you watch the, uh, Baby Jane. Right. And all I remember is when, you know, that scene where she takes the lid off and there's a rat. Yes. And so disgusting scary. Everybody knows that scene. Yes. So anyway, and then the rest basically, it's really a story of how the young kids, you can learn from the elderly. The elderly can learn from the youth. Absolutely. Also, she was so ahead of her time. It's women supporting women. I never asked for a raise. And she knew every time you learn something, all right, you got to the next level and it's 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 something that actually i have found it goes universal and she always said back then women if women could only be a little more like men men had the boys club back then and they would support of course and in her day it didn't so in the book i tell you she taught me the old warner Brothers system how to walk how to talk you have a job she had a job absolutely you know publicizing a book publicizing a film Unlike, not everybody does that today. Well, they were under
0: contract. So um, my my great grandfather's Harry Warner, who started oh, Warner Brothers, so absolutely. everybody was sort of owned by uh, by War- the Warners they at that time, or MGM, whoever you were under contract. So you you know if they said jump, you said how high. But so, but but and it was she also Warner Brothers, it, right? Yeah, she did. But it was, uh, and it was also massively good training, though, to the be on your own
23: the best and after even though she fought warners and she fought for good scripts in the end if you see where she has put her sarcophagus she respected the warners that's and she has it's overlooking Warner Brothers and after all her interviews later it's like a child you grow up you have to cut the biblical cord but she never not stopped thanking them
0: how uh, are people coming up and asking you all kinds of questions right now kn- about Miss D uh,
23: Betty Davis I think do you know what um, well what I have actually as I'm showing them I have because a lot of young kids don't know who she is. So unless you know Turner Classic Movies, well,
0: All About Eve is probably the greatest one of the greatest films ever.
23: It's what amazes me because the young social media—they're actually—and the feud reintroduced absolutely Miss Davis and uh, Joan Crawford to a whole new generation. Yes, that the book has now gone. You know, it's printed in Japan and in France and.
0: No, no. You've been you've been wonderful, and I appreciate you coming in and, and speaking with us. Thank you very much
23: for having me. It's wonderful. And this,
0: where do you go from here? I mean, well, this as
23: E said, Kath, you got to first tell our story. Yep. And then you make it into a movie. And so that's what that's I'm what dad I know. is it's because it's a, it's a road trip. It's not, um, but it's about. Two I'm women really looking
0: forward
24: to and, it, to reading it.
23: And you will hear her voice. And I think every child goes through it. And yes. there's so much for even women today. And it's inspiring and encouraging. And what? I can't wait to read your book. <laughs>
0: I'm not writing One a book, of these but thank days. you. I know I always I'm that. always told to do that, and I don't think I'm going to. But thank I, you so much, Catherine Serman. I Sermatt, totally
23: understand. Miss an D honor. and me.
0: Oh, it's an honor to talk to you. No, thank you. Thank
23: you for having me. Uh,
0: and on the other mic here, I have Philip Keith, who has actually uh, been awarded, uh, for, you won the USA Book Award for Military History for your last book black horse riders but you're here today with firebase illingworth
25: yes, uh tell uh, me
0: about this this book
25: well actually it's a sequel to black horse riders right. uh, <laughs> i started out writing a, a which is Viet- about a vietnam a, yeah, a, a group yeah. of guys i started writing out a vietnam trilogy and this is a uh, book two of three uh book three is in process but uh the, after the first two books And talking with all of the men who were involved in these stories, I was so wrung out that I had to take a little bit of a break. Wow, it was that emotionally draining for you. Yeah, I mean, I I probably talked with over 300 veterans who were involved in these stories and um, ended up uh, putting in comments and uh, stories about a. Probably about a hundred of them, and Richard. Uh, I mean, you would be amazed at. Uh, I mean, well, tell I, me I about get,
0: this in particular. I mean, it says you know on the cover, an epic true. This is Firebase Illingworth by Philip Keith, yeah, an epic true, true, story, true story of yep. remarkable courage against staggering odds. What was the? Event? Well,
25: it it, it uh, takes place in uh, on April first, of nineteen seventy. Don't you love it? April Fool's Day. Right. <laughs> where a uh, small company of about uh, 90 soldiers plus about another 50 or 60 support personnel are stuck at a small fire support base in the middle of an open uh, field uh, surrounded by jungle. And in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning, they get attacked by over 600 North Vietnamese regular soldiers and for the next several hours, it's a, uh, you know, mano-a-mano mano, uh, tangle to, to, to survive. And, um, you know, these guys did uh, incredible feats of uh, bravery. In fact, uh, one Medal of Honor came out of this engagement, a number of Distinguished Service Crosses, Silver Stars, and so on and so forth. So it's, it, it's, you know, it's one of those stories of a war that uh, people are finally, I hope, I think, beginning to appreciate in terms of the fact that you know, those of us who were there, we, we, we did what we had to do.
0: It's wonderful. Philip Keith with his book, Firebase, Illingworth, uh, thank you for coming out and supporting the East Hampton Library. I appreciate you speaking with us.
25: My pleasure. And
0: here I have Chris Whipple, one of the hottest tickets in town. Uh, with his book, The Gatekeepers. I don't know about that. Oh, you are? You're, you're, I think, actually, and I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, because none of the other authors can hear, I think your dinner sold out first.
26: Oh, really? Yes, no.
0: even before Alex. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard.
26: Well, it's humbling to be seated with Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who's uh, <laughs> selling a lot more copies than I am, I think.
0: Would you like to put these on? It might make it a little more quiet for you. Uh, Chris, your book, The Gatekeeper, is how the White House chiefs chiefs of staff define every presidency. Um, I have two main questions to ask you, first of all, which is John Kelly, our current chief of staff. Do you see him modeling on any previous uh, strategy that's been used by other chiefs of staff?
26: Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, the last time we had a general as White House chief of staff, it didn't end well. That was Al Haig under uh, Gerald Ford. I'm in he was, control here. Uh, yeah. And, of course, that was when he was secretary of state when right. he famously did that. But he he lasted about a month under Gerald Ford. Um, it was a disaster. And it wasn't all Haig's fault, but um, that's another story. As far as Kelly is concerned, I... I'm not sure he's modeled himself after anyone in particular, but I really think that he has failed in, in many respects. And, um, you know, I think early on he managed to make the trains run on time. I think right. the White House is more orderly and efficient. Than it was under But that's the, the previous. But that's the easy part right. of being White House Chief of Staff. The hard part is to execute the president's agenda and, most importantly, to tell the president what he does not want to hear. Not an easy thing to do with Donald Trump, but in my view, Kelly has utterly failed to do that.
0: Now, I, I am very curious. The very yeah. first chief, chief of staff was Sherman Adams under Eisenhower, correct?
26: Yeah. I Why would... did they
0: even make that a position?
26: Well, that's the extraordinary, that's the fascinating thing about it. It's, it's a modern invention. There's nothing in the Constitution about it. Uh, You're right that Eisenhower essentially created the job uh, by appointing a gruff, tough, former New Hampshire governor named Sherman Adams, who became known as the abominable (laughs) no-man. He was the ultimate gatekeeper. Um, But it was really H.R. Haldeman under Richard Nixon who took the job to another level and, and really... Created the template for the modern empowered White House chief right. of staff, who does so much more than just uh, uh, control access to the Oval Office.
0: Right. So, who do you think uh, after Haldeman, who do you think are some of the uh, better? I mean, what what like what what defines a good chief of staff?
26: Well, it's an almost impossibly. Mm-hmm diverse skill set. Um, That's what I was thinking. You You have to
0: kind of be a little bit of everything. The
26: best in modern history in my opinion were probably James A. Baker III under Ronald Reagan, his quintessential first chief of staff Uh, and and Leon Panetta I would put in the same league. Uh, He was of course Bill Clinton's second White House chief of staff. They had something in common. They were both grounded. They were confident. They'd been around the block. Uh, They had nothing to prove. They knew the White House. They knew how to run the White House, but they also understood Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, they were people who could walk into the Oval Office, close the door, and tell Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton what they did not want to hear.
0: And and have it greeted with respect.
26: Yeah. Which
0: might be something that John Kelly is having a problem with. Well, I mean, I imagine if, if he's telling—I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt—but if he's trying to tell Donald Trump things that he doesn't want to hear, I don't think that goes
26: well. Well, in fairness to Kelly, we don't know, of course, what what has happened behind closed doors. We we don't know how many uh, battles he won in some of those arguments, and and perhaps we'll learn more when he's uh, when he when he's finished and he and he's talking about it, but. Um, it, it could be that telling Donald Trump hard truths is mission impossible. Yes. Uh, but in my view, Kelly hasn't tried hard enough.
0: Well, Chris Whipple, thank you so much for taking the time to come over and speak with us. This is a New York Times bestseller, The Gatekeepers, by Chris Whipple. Uh, and like I said, you're the hottest ticket here. So well, you well, and okay, Ruth you're Westheimer. Kind, you're kind <laughs> to say
26: that. But uh, you wouldn't say that if you were sitting with Ruth. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And now we are moving on. It's Bridget Leroy here, your host for Authors Night 2018 for the East Hampton Library. And we're here now with author Michelle Gerber-Klein. Hi, how are you? And her book, Charles James, Portrait of an Unreasonable Man. Now, I've heard about this book. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was kind of one of the... I mean, he was, he was most popular in the 30s and 40s, correct? I mean, w- when he was coming up no, in the fashion industry, he, no. or was it 50s? He was well.
27: He was most he was most famous in the 50s because he basically invented the look of the 50s, which was the right. new look, which is what
0: I've seen—all these wonderful kind of satin draped gowns and yeah, with
27: like huge skirts and nipped-in waists, very glamorous. But he
0: was considered somewhat of a. I don't want to say difficult person, but, but what I mean what he makes was a this British, book intriguing? He was a
27: British eccentric. Yes. He was a wonderful person. He was totally original, totally self created, totally fearless, very funny and incredibly inventive. He had an unbelievable mind. Austin Hurst said he had the most beautiful mind she'd ever met.
0: That's beautiful. And what made him unreasonable?
27: Oh, only unreasonable men change the world.
0: Yes, and unreasonable women as yeah, well. that's right. So, and, and yeah. I see that there's a, pe- uh, a section with photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some of the people that he he
27: dressed? dressed? Yeah. Um. Well, Elsa Scaparelli, who yeah. invented fashion in the 30s, he, who. Um, Elizabeth Arden, who started the cosmetic industry as we know it. So
0: he was a very powerful behind-the-scenes person whose Hmm. story has really not come out.
27: Yes, absolutely. So
0: what made you want to tell his story?
27: I saw tapes that he made just before he died, and he totally intrigued me because he was such a mixed metaphor and such a funny, heartwarming, um, instantly charming Mm -hmm. man.
0: That's Michelle Gerber Klein with her book, Charles James, Portrait of an Unreasonable Man, which is all about fame, fashion, and art, and it looks absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much Thank you for coming much. up and joining us. Thank you. And uh, I hope that you come back again with another book. I will. Well, here I have a giant of the literary oh world. Oh, God, really? Yes, yeah, so you have to sit closer, Jules. Oh, you, oh. you are. You're a giant. Okay. Uh, speak into the mic. We have Jules Pfeiffer who never ever stops working and you are here with this book which I find absolutely fascinating it is a graphic novel
28: okay can I put this on (laughs) so I can hear you
0: yeah no I don't want you to hear me read my lips read my lips Jules (laughs) Feiffer there is that helpful can you hear me now yes okay great hi Jules
28: I I hope you have something worth saying
0: I hope so I can't promise anything though Uh, but you do So that's good. The Ghost Script is your latest book, and this is one of the most fascinating times in American history because it's about the HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, Now, how do you write a cartoon book, (laughs) a graphic novel? A graphic
28: novel, madam. (laughs) I'll have you know. Oh,
0: gosh, don't act so offended.
28: Don't don't confuse us with a comic book.
0: It's not a comic book. Just
28: because it looks like a comic book. It does kind of look like a comic book. It's (laughs) a But it's pretentious, which a comic book is not.
0: Okay, well there you go. Yes. So I'm glad that you can. we got that out we, of the way. Those
28: of us who get pretentious enough to uh, call ourselves graphic novelists are very proud of the title.
0: But I love this, that it's about that period of time. Blacklist Hollywood.
28: when I came of age politically in many ways, and I had just gotten out of the army, and I, both, I went to hear Jerome Robbins testify before the House Un-American Activities Committee, and I also went to a memorial service where Clifford Odets got up and spoke movingly and brilliantly and cheerfully about the deceased, who was an actor named J. Edward Bromberg, who was was with Odets in in the organization of the Group Theatre, and then a week later, before before the House American Un-American Activities Committee, and named names and named uh, J. Edward Bromberg as the man who put him into the Communist Party. So I'm running about that. time. Clifford Odets did yes, that. Clifford Odets.
0: Do you do you know that I have an original painting by Clifford Odets that uh, he gave my father? Really? Yes, I do. I'll bring it over and show it to you. Sometime. I would love to see. it. Yes, it's well, kind he of was a hero of my youth. And yes. And, and
28: then he and, uh, and sing and waiting, waiting for Lefty, lefty of and golden course, golden boy, and all those things. Absolutely brilliant. But but, but that, that the, 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 the 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 level of betrayal so at that time was so affecting to me that that if, from that stage to this. It's how I began to view my own country.
0: We're speaking with Jules Pfeiffer here in his new book, The Ghost Script, which deals with the Hollywood blacklist period. Yes. Do you find, and this is a very leading question, do you find that it's um, relevant in today's politics?
28: Only in this way. Everything? In the the 1950s, Joe McCarthy was a senator. Now, Joe McCarthy is president. Wow. So that's the difference. And the, the, the level of danger inherent in that um, may be fatal, we'll see
0: It's wonderful, Jules. And as always, it's a pleasure to see you, to hear you, to talk to you, to sit next to you at at theater things. And uh, I've known you for- I know, weeks. <laughs> forever. No, <laughs> oh, shut up. I've known you for my almost my whole life and it's such a pleasure to, well, to see you. Me. And to always have you here with a new work. Uh, and supporting the the, uh, East Hampton Library.
28: Well, supporting East Hampton Library and and supporting Bay Street Theater and supporting all the wonderful institutions out here that are dear to my heart.
0: Well, Jules Pfeiffer, thank you so much for speaking with us. This is uh, Bridget Leroy on WPPB 88.3 FM. And we have here another local. We've got the Bonnick Table going on here.
28: I, I don't want to sit near this man. You know, it's Monty <laughs> Farber,
0: and Jules doesn't it, mean that he, he married, doesn't. He married me. He married you. Well, I think you, he did. Did you perform the wedding? Yes, I did. Come closer. Yes, I did. You married Jules and Joan. I did, and Joan. Joan. Yes, and then it turned out not to be legal oh come on no, that's really? why we had to have a real
29: we
28: had
0: to have, you a, had real, to have a real had one to have the yes. judge from well Shelter speaking of, of marriage we have your lovely wife amy Zerner, joining well, she, you now
28: didn't, amy didn't marry
0: me no amy didn't marry you but she was but probably yes yeah well i'll marry you i'm also an ordained <laughs> minister and so is wally and smith we could all we could have a group we could marry everyone oh, here it'd I'm be not, like a I'm mooney the thing <laughs> The hampton's
29: <laughs> known for that their that communes
0: jota and
28: i enjoyed getting married so much that we've now done it twice Oh. And, and we want Monty to do it every other year.
10: Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. I'm available.
0: Well, <laughs> we're going to sh- shift he- over from the wonderful Jules Pfeiffer. And do you want to ha- give your... I, I'm head-
28: being told to get out of town. Yeah, you are. <laughs> All right, goodbye.
0: <laughs> but don't get up with your headphones on because they, you should... You can, You can. can. Pa- the passing of the headphones is a big thing here at WPP. I've been castrated. Oh, no. Well, You've well, a better place. So we have here... <laughs> Monty Farber and Amy Zerner. The, it was hi, great Bridgie. seeing you, Jules. Hi. Hi, Monty. Hi, hi Amy. Gigi. Hi. I love you guys. I've <laughs> known you. I really have known you um, my whole life, but you were you're uh, only a few years. I don't want to make it sound like... You were five years old. I was five years old. I was
24: a teenager.
0: Yeah. And you told me that flying car story, which infected me. You said your car flew to Montauk. <laughs> it's true. And I totally believed you. <laughs>
24: the one and
0: only time I did that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, having Amy Zerner as your occasional babysitter, <laughs> she would hold seances, she would tell me ghost stories. I was like, you made me a nervous child. <laughs> I'm steaming
24: up but we I've always been the same, right? Yeah, no,
0: you're wonderful and I adore you. you. And, and and I and Monty I remember seeing you with your robot at like yes. tracks in the early eighties oh or something. What, it, what what was it?
29: The me myself and IBM. <laughs>
0: how far we go back.
24: It's a colorful journey we've had. But you're, yeah.
0: yes, colorful like your purple hair, <laughs> which everybody knows. And the two of you are just, have made a career out of helping people navigate through life using yes. astrology and karma cards, your your tarot deck, which, I, I mean, I remember you reading tarot, again, at six <laughs> years old, <laughs> oh oh i drew the death card for you bridget i was like what does that mean amy now go to sleep i'll turn off like no i had other ones who read me things like telltale heart you you were mild compared to to the lovecraftian
29: the grateful dead wrote what a long strange trip it's been about us yes
0: they did so you're here tonight though with your karma cards and your enchanted tarot this
29: was our first book which came out in 1988 so it's the 30th anniversary edition it's now published by uh, S- uh, Sterling, which is Barnes and Noble, and the Enchanted Tarot is on its twenty-fifth anniversary edition.
0: Well, actually, I did something about that last year. I think in in the Independent, yes, um, because yeah. it's it's a new and improved. It's it's a bigger. It's yes. not just yeah. a tarot deck. It has. Yeah. Uh,
29: it's a better book, and it comes with a. Uh, a, a, little a little bag. A, a pouch. A bag. A, a pretty little velvet
0: purple. bag. A purple velvet bag, like which her everybody hair, needs for those
29: of you in radio land. <laughs>
0: yes, of course. Well it's it, you have so many books out though. I mean, how do you We do.
29: We have our own shelf at every Barnes and Noble store. So
0: you like, have your own shelf at every yeah, Barnes and Noble. Store. No, the top shelf of the No, seriously. Now when you did karma cards, you had no idea. I had no idea that, that, that was going to happen. It
29: was the year Nancy Reagan was revealed to be interested in astrology. So the first printing so went from 15,000 to 50,000.
0: That's just amazing. But you guys have done I mean, over the years you've done cruises where yeah. you've done a, yeah. Can I, can we talk about fruckies? <laughs> It's only because I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Fortune Frookies. The, I love that the idea. Yeah, it was like a magic eight ball, but edible. I thought that was Fortune Frookies—the game you love to eat. Yeah, right. like ball, yeah. For- frookies, the game you love to eat. Right, love to eat. It's, it's just amazing. But you guys have come so far. I mean, what? Where? What do you see with the current? I don't know. It, people seem so disenCHANTed, and you guys are are makers of enchantment. Well, where we, can they? Where can they go to get that? We think
29: things are going to get a lot better.
0: We feel like you really focus on
24: love, the people you love, the animals you love, the work you love, and that brings you back. The food you love, because
0: food. you have you have yes. a cookbook no, as well. Yes. An
29: astrology cookbook called uh, Signs and Seasons. But we we feel that you know we we lived through the '60s and we brought the sensibility of the '60s, and now we're in our '60s, and <laughs> <laughs> we've never can, changed.
24: You can use these oracles to center yourself. It's like a meditation ritual, and that's very important. Of course, when, when you're feeling out of whack. Or
29: and today's a solar eclipse.
24: That's right. Is it new moon? Yes,
29: yeah, a partial solar eclipse which means everybody should be very careful not to let their emotions trip themselves up.
0: Oh, that's great.
24: So
29: feel positive because there's a lot of great things going on.
24: I think one of the wonderful things that so many people are into astrology and the tarot now, like when we were young and we got into that, and, yeah. that kept, and yoga and all kinds of positive things. So yeah. I mean, that's what so I- So people are looking, they're looking yeah.
0: for a ways of being enchanted and they look, need look no further than Monty Farber and Amy Zerner and your collection of amazing books, and I love you guys. Thank you, honey. Thank you Bye. so much. Great seeing Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, and I'm here, uh, this is Bridget Leroy, your host, usually staff of the independent utility infielder, as they say, and instead here tonight representing WPPB FM, 88.3 FM, sorry, there's a little mayhem going on here. Hi, how are you? I'm so glad. Please take a seat. Put on some headphones. This is Jean McCullough. Yes. And your book is all happy families. yes But, but this will help if you put on the headphones. So you. Uh, yeah,
30: I can't hear. It's like it. yeah, you won't
0: be able to. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm nice fine. to meet how are you. Great. And is Faith, uh, Faith uh, Phyllis going to be joining us? I don't know. Come on up, I Phyllis. I don't know. This is wonderful. Um, now you've had many, many years uh, editing at the Paris Review.
30: Yes, I was at the Paris Review for ten years as an editor, and now this—you have written a memoir. I've written a memoir, and yes. uh, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, the book opens on a uh, weekend in 1983 when I was married. I was very young at the
0: time. I'm sure.
30: And uh, so it was two very different families coming together for an event at a house in East Hampton on the beach. And my father ended up dying that weekend.
0: Right. So he he, had a heart attack.
30: No, No. he had, uh, he was actually, he had a stroke. Oh, okay. uh, Two days before the wedding. And the backstory on that is that my mother had tried to sober him up. He was a big drinker and did it without any medical detox because in those days, I guess, people didn't know to do that. And as a consequence, he had a a stroke. So I was on my way out with my fiance from Manhattan to East Hampton and we stopped at exit 70 as one does and used the little payphone to call and say we were running late and the housekeeper said, Go straight to Southampton Hospital. Your father's had a stroke, so we went there. And, and this is your your what? I mean,
0: 24, yeah, 48 hours before your wedding.
30: Forty eight hours before my wedding, my mother had found my father that morning. As the tent was going up on the lawn, the ambulance was going out the driveway, and my fiance's family I was, was on say. their way. They were already on the ferry, coming from Maine to arrive at what they thought was their son's wedding, the first wedding in both
0: of our families. Now I do have to ask, we also have sitting here Phyllis Chase, who I have not seen in over 30 years, no. but I remember you like yesterday. Right. We spent a week together yeah. at, a, at a place. I won't yes. <laughs> say where it was. At a spa. A at a spa. Just in case anyone thinks it was like, like rehab. Blood right? blood more, yeah. It wasn't rehab. We were together at a spa. But, Phyllis, were you guys friends back then? Yes. We so were we you at the wedding? Were you part? No.
30: No. no we, had, we knew each other as kids, and then we sort of hadn't seen each other in a I long mean, time. Their and
5: house was the iconic Fourth of July house. They had a huge Fourth of July party. Every year, that we all look forward to. Amazing. And I don't know if you referenced that. Do you I ref- haven't yet read no. her book, but I just <laughs> yes. bought it. I'm so excited.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. <laughs> so, what? When did this book come out? It's coming out on Tuesday. Oh, okay, so I, th- no, I it thought it hasn't, wasn't. It hasn't, hasn't come been released out yet. But one of the things that
30: was lovely for me in writing this book was really to get a chance to write about our East Hampton when we grew up, when it really was a very different place yes. than, of course, it is because now. Phyllis's
0: uh, mother, of course, Faith Chase, has yes. had the store in East Hampton. You remember, for, wow. Everybody amazing. remembers. Everybody remembers what Main Street East Hampton used to be like. Yes. Everybody who's been out here for she a while. She tried to start a cottage yes.
5: industry. Yes, yes. yes.
0: wonderful. Yes. It was amazing. And yeah. uh, what else was there? Cheese cupboard, Whimsies, Pets Painted with Love, I remember? Know.
30: I called my sister, because I said, when I was writing this, and I said, what was that name of that place we used to get all of our little turquoise Whimsy, wasn't it? She goes, mm-hmm. no, it was Whitmore's, was yeah. it? And then Whimsy's was right there. Right. And Marley's was Marley's, the stationery right. store. Oh, course. The only
5: place you could buy toys, and Mr. Marley exactly. hated kids. <laughs> exactly. He was in
0: the wrong
30: business. So Is yeah. a lot
0: of the stuff in your book? Uh, a, a lot of... Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's a, a really more about your father and the marriage. Well, it's
30: the first section is about that weekend, and then it follows my in-laws up to Maine, and then it returns to the house at the time that we were selling the house. And we're speaking with Jean McCulloch, the former, Do I say your name right? It's okay, say it that way. How do you say it? The, my rea- yes. When you read the book, you say will it. find out that my mother used to be insistent that it was Jeanne. Jeanne. Because she was from French. a French family. Jeanne. But nobody's ever pronounced it that way. But am I saying your way. last name right? So everybody
0: calls me Jay. Am I saying McCulloch, right? Yes, you will. Oh, my gosh. Because it's That's, the I'm Scottish
30: so spelling of McCulloch.
0: Well, I have a capital R in my name, but people tend to say Leroy. And I just oh, kind of let it slide. Oh, so well, Leroy. you see? But uh, I'm speaking with Jeanne McCulloch, (laughs) who's the former managing editor of the Paris Review and has this amazing memoir based in East Hampton. Based in East Um, Hampton. And I can't thank you enough. I want to talk to Phyllis a little bit about uh, the upcoming event you have on Wednesday. Um, tell me about tell me Thank about this. this. Well, is I'm fantastic. just so excited, you know, and I, I can't believe I'm seeing you after all this time. I, 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 it's,
5: I, it's amazing, you know, and especially to be here with Jay. It's like old home week. Yeah. Um, but I'm very excited about my event on Wednesday at Guild Hall, seven o'clock. The doors open to a silent auction in the lobby, pop up shops in the green room. You get to go backstage, and then outside there's a Greek. Um, Food
0: truck, and there's a movie. This is all in
5: yeah before the screening of a movie called The Letters, which the is the untold Th- story of Mother Teresa. It's a thirty million dollar film with a great cast, a won awards at festivals. Uh, but it was released during the the San Bernardino mass shooting, so nobody went to the theaters. Right. Nobody saw this film. I saw the film, and the producers asked me to put up money. After I saw, I said no way, I don't have that kind of money. After I saw the movie, I was so touched. It blew my heart wide open that I put up a lot of money. Well, <laughs> for its national re-release. So they let me have the the national release is going to be September 4th, but they let me have it in my hometown. So I put this event together in 3 weeks and you know, I, I need people to buy tickets. So, you know, please. And and what
0: where do they go to buy What is the name of your organization again? Well,
5: it's the Unstoppable Foundation. But if you but, if you go to page for, 4 in the Star, right. it gives me my email and
0: um, you know. I'm sorry, I threw you for a loop oh, there. God, yes, no, 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 sorry. that's good. Uh, no, no, but, that's
5: fine. You know, um, uh, P C I N. It stands for Phyllis Chase in East Hampton at Gmail. Oh, that's you can email me. No, no, but, but or just show or up they at can, the box office. Or, at 7 yes, o'clock. yes, I was going to say, Guild it's Hall. Only twenty-five dollars. And there's a garden. But the money
0: goes, goes to, to the H-
5: Unstoppable Foundation, but and the Mully Foundation. Right, The Mully
0: Foundation as well, because there's also a ticket that is more expensive, a hundred dollar ticket, right. which is the one I got. <laughs> oh right,
5: Bridget, <laughs> because thank you. Because I'm trying to
0: support, but it but it goes to a different goes to the organization. unstoppable, yes. Uh, and
5: I just found out that my dear friend who's standing right behind me, yes. Gerald. Who's written this fabulous? Well, lots of fabulous yes. books. Just gave me twenty-five thousand dollars as matching funds. How
0: fantastic! Hello, breaking that's news. a dear, dear, well, dear, well, dear friend. That he a a dear, gets an extra
30: dear in that. Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah. Thank yeah. you both
0: for coming and <laughs> talking to me. And I wish you the best with your book release. I appreciate and it. Thank thanks you for very supporting much. the East Hampton Library.
30: Uh, thank you. Thank you. And you were so coming wonderful to talk to, see you,
0: to talk to Talk to you, and I'll see you on Wednesday night. Great. Thanks, fellas. Bye, bye, Jean. Nice to meet you. Hi. Please come on up hi
5: should i have him put
0: on the uh, yes rubber? i
5: just told her that you did, you did yes yes gerald who did the twenty-five thousand. gerald you are wonderful yes
0: and this is amazing I, I i saw this you're gonna have trouble unless you take your hat off oh <laughs> hi phyllis yes sorry michael please come on up Sure. Uh, we, I have with me now, Heights Bridget Leroy at WPBB, and I have with me uh, two wonderful writers. Uh, Gerald Sprayrigan, did that's I say it right? That's correct, dear. Yes, thank you. And Michael Isakov with his book, Russian Roulette, The Inside Story of Putin's War on America and the Election of Donald Trump. So this is a kind of a good pairing because you have your drawings of artists depicting Donald Trump. Right, and this is one of the hottest books out there right now. So, <laughs> I'm really grateful to have you Thank both you. here, kind of wrapping this up for me. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, why don't you interview each other? I'm like exhausted. No I'm kidding. <laughs>
8: okay.
0: Uh, no, no, um, Michael, if you can go first, please tell me about. Uh, I've already had a deep discussion with Malcolm Nance. Right. Tell me what more about about your take on this? and Well, I, I think we're actually
9: coming to a, a critical crossroads in the next month. I think the um, a Mueller probe is, um, uh, there's a good chance we're going to see a lot of fireworks uh, just over the next few weeks. Obviously, we've got the Manafort trial uh, somebody we write about extensively in the book. Um, you know, we're going to get a yeah. verdict in a couple of weeks. And I they've, think they've
0: called a guy from East Hampton. They called a landscaper from uh, Bridgehampton as one of the witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> we're, writing, oh. we're writing about it in the
9: independent. Oh, are week. you? Yeah, okay, yeah, Okay, yeah. great. Um, but also, I think there's a good chance we could see uh, Mueller is going to do an obstruction report, uh, uh, you know, within the next few weeks. And it looks like Roger Stone's going to get indicted. So wow. that... So, you know, this is sort of a crescendo for uh, for Trump and I think he's going to uh, you know, he wants to wrap things as much of it as he can in the next few weeks because he doesn't want to be accused of dumping stuff during the election campaign. Right, right, of course. So, uh, uh, and you know.
0: and I think this must be like wonderful fodder for anyone who is a, a illustrator. Have you, have you had non-stop material to go on for your well, book, Gerald, basically, America the Great?
9: It, America the Great, uh, I've done about 25 books. Uh, and in this book, I am an editor. I have chosen the 52 top <laughs> cartoons in the world. Right, Pulitzer Prize winning. 22 of them have won Pulitzer Prizes. And I've I've just approached 52. Asked them to give me their interpretation of Donald Trump. Not one has turned me down. Uh, Are there any
0: positive? um, Very little. (laughs) I think I'd like to get
9: you to illustrate the paperback edition of Russian Oh, good. I'm I'm doing a hookup here. I'm doing a hookup here. uh, I I, I disagree with you a little. I don't think Trump is going to testify. Uh, he He talks about wanting to testify but he's too smart to testify. No, 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 I I agree with that, but I I don't think Mueller needs his testimony to write his report. If he can't get it, he can't get it. He Mm -hmm. writes his report based on the evidence he's got. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's got a lot more evidence than he's shown to date. That's for sure.
0: Both of you are established writers. We have next to you a woman who's here with her first book, Uh uh, Carola Lovering, am I saying your name right? Yes. Um, And maybe you guys can, t- first of all, tell me a little bit about your book, and maybe you can get some good advice from these uh, these armchair generals who have published yeah. many, many books. Tell me about it. Um,
31: absolutely. Book. What Ta- makes you
0: think she needs it? <laughs> yeah, she
31: might not. She oh, might I give you guys advice. It. I would love it. Um, so Tell Me Lies is a novel. It's about a toxic relationship. Um, and the, the chapters alternate perspectives between Lucy, the protagonist, and then Steven who is her love love interest and kind of the anti-hero of the novel. Um, and it's that's the central thread of the novel is their relationship. They're kind of unhealthy, toxic, on and off relationship um, over the course of seven years. but. It's also a little bit of a thriller, and it's a coming-of-age story. Oh, wonderful. How long um, did you, How long have you been working on this? Excuse me? How long have you been working on this? I started working on it in 2013, um, and it just came out earlier this summer in June. That's wonderful. So I was working on it And it's called it for, Tell Me
0: You Love Me. It says Tell Me Lies tell on the cover. Tell Me Lies. Oh, it is called Tell Me yeah. Lies. It's called Tell Me Lies, but then the lies is crossed out, and it says Tell right. me, love me Just Tell <laughs> Me Lies. Very clever.
31: Inspired by the Fleetwood Mac song. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. And,
0: so uh, I've
9: got one question: yeah. When do you sell it to HBO or Showtime?
31: Fingers that's crossed that <laughs> you know that'll that'll happen. Um, there's you know it's it's too soon to tell, but I that's the hope.
0: It's always the hardest to interview journalists because they want to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's Mike Lysikoff talking yeah. with his book Russian Roulette. This uh, I, I mean I imagine that you have more than enough material, both of you. Uh, to get a whole other book going like immediately. Are you already working on another one?
9: The the great thing about the book is it came out in March and we actually were able to anticipate a lot of what, what, what came out afterwards. One example, we have a whole section in the book in, about Maria Butina, the Russian agent the Russian who was arrested chapter. just a couple of weeks right, ago. yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, how she was operating. But you already have the she, chapter. We, yeah, we, we have a whole section about how she cultivated relationships with the NRA and Republican activists and the critical role she played for the Kremlin in getting Trump on the record during the campaign saying he would roll back no. sanctions against Russia. Something that got no reporting during the campaign but it was widely noticed by the Kremlin and Putin at the time.
0: Wow, that's that's just amazing. Of uh, course he never did. How are we doing well, on Well, he time tried back?
9: to. He absolutely tried to, but he got stopped. Yeah.
0: Wow. That this was is, the
9: agenda to roll back sanctions. This has been yes. the
0: most uh, amazing evening. I can't believe how fast it's gone by. I've, uh, we only have about a minute left. So this has been, uh, all through Night is, uh, for any of you, is it? Uh, have you been here before, ever? No, No, I it's haven't. your first time. You've been here before. and you.
9: I have not been here before, time? but it was great. I met Robert Caro, yes. one of my author heroes of, I got a chance uh, of to all interview. time, which was which was great.
0: And you have a dinner.
9: And I have a dinner tonight. And who's hosting yes. your dinner? Uh, somebody named Norby Weisberg. I, I don't know him, but I will be meeting you him this be. evening. You will That's wonderful. Yes. And yeah. What uh, do you
20: think?
29: ultimate outcome with Mr. Trump um,
9: you know if I knew the answer to that I could make a lot of money in Vegas but I think that um, it seems unsustainable but you know who knows we, we don't yet know how this plays out um,
0: I want to thank everybody here we are running out of time okay. uh, Car- Carola is that how I was yep, your name with your new book thank you and Gerald
31: Spray Regan,
0: thank you so much. And Michael Izakoff with Russian Roulette, the book everyone's talking about here. Thank you all so much. It's been an incredible night here at Authors' Night. Uh, I've been here representing WPPB 88.3 FM, usually a utility infielder at the independent newspaper. And I've been (laughs) honored, Wally Smith, to be able to sub for Bonnie Grice tonight. Thank you so much for everyone. And tomorrow's the children's fair, don't miss that. Thank you very much. Coming from the 555 fields in Amagansett, this is Bridget Leroy signing off.
9: <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Great. thank you. <laughs> How many authors did you have to interview?